This episode is brought to you by the Project Manga Patreon, the best way for viewers to support the project and allow us a means to keep providing new and quality content to our subscribers. Go to patreon.com slash projectmanga and find out more about the perks we have available to patrons, including early access to all of our content and exclusive videos like behind-the-scenes footage and additional manga reviews. That's patreon.com slash projectmanga. All right, let's get into the episode. Welcome back to the Project Manga Podcast, where we cover Ayashimon, Mission Yozakura Family, Jujutsu Kaisen, Dr. Stone, My Hero, and One Piece, week to week. Back this week, covering Weekly Shonen Jump, issue number eight. I am your host, Eagle. Knox. Bello Yenis. And joining us once again on the main show here is Broken Ronin. What's up, man? Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. What's up, guys? Uh, thanks for having me on here. Yes, yes, of course. And uh, we will put all his links down below, you know, anywhere you can find him and check out the stuff he does. We'll put that down below in the description for you guys to see. So go ahead and check that out. Give him a follow. Give him a subscription. All that good stuff. And while you're down there, as usual, you can find our links, which are um, links to any and all of our individual social media accounts, such as Twitter, online communities, such as Discord, places to listen to the podcast audio listening platform wise and ways to support the podcast by looking at our patreon or our online store yeah also you can find timestamps down there to conveniently navigate yourself through the video and avoid spoilers for series you're not current in and while you're down there you can go ahead and slap a like on that goddamn video <laughs> and subscribe to the channel for more fire weekly content so uh, with all those words said how you boys feeling man this is the fire weekend jump incredible oh, yeah no One Piece, which is sad, but great week to have Ronan here. Good to see you again, brother. Yes. Appreciate you having me here. This was a really good chapter, I feel like, to be invited on. Yeah. Uh, cause, yeah, it was just a fire week all around. So, you know, I'm pretty excited to get into uh, the series and start talking about them. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Mm-hmm. All right, well, with all that being said, we might as well go ahead and jump right into chapter nine of Ayashimon, Over My Dead Body. And we start off this week chapter with a fire ass color cover i love it yes Ooh, the color palette okay. is just so like wow it just hits you it like pops. right away it definitely pops. Boom, like yeah. boom. all the reds yeah, and the like pinks the and red, purples dark yeah. reds against the blacks and just like the art with urara and the way like her facial expression yuji mm-hmm. mm-hmm. kaki yeah okay I love the like the fire in the foreground contrasting with like the neon lights in the background Ooh, and being yeah. like this kind of like juxtaposition between like like old school traditional like yokai supernatural and like the modern tech. Yeah. Um, just beautiful, soft, like warm color page. Love it. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Yujikaku definitely doing what Yujikaku does. Like he just yeah, he just be making shit that's look good like i don't know what else to say about this right yeah <laughs> it's just a beautiful color page i, I don't remember bring a tear to your eye yeah, uh, yeah yeah this one just like jumped out and like spoke to me like more so than like a lot of the last couple of color pages that i've seen in anything so yeah most definitely very good but yeah getting into the chapter it's like man mauro mauro he's, uh, he's not doing so good we <laughs> really need this power system introduced or something 
I mean, I'm cool with him getting whooped in this chapter. You know what I mean? Like we were talking about it in the last, you know, review about you know how, like you were saying, like we need, you know, some 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 power, some more power system stuff, and this is a good reason to get it. You know what I mean? Having an obstacle like Dopo come in and just shut down, you know, the current leading strategy of Maruos is a is a really good way for us to go into deeper power system explanations coming out of it you know what i mean like, yeah. well, what what else can you do if you find yourself in a situation like this in the future yeah because he's legitimately like just hallucinating hitting buddy at this point mm-hmm. um <laughs> which which definitely was like whoa yeah threw me off for sure yeah what were your thoughts on the chapter here ronan so i like this chapter a lot um obviously i've been liking ayushimon quite a bit just in general I'm just a fan of Yuji Kaku's like writing style and things like that. But I really liked um, Maruo's kind of defeat here uh, to Dopo. But I liked it for two reasons. One, because like you guys were saying earlier, it's kind of a reason to introduce a power system, which I'm interested in seeing how that's going to work, um, especially considering his past work with like Tao and Hell's Paradise. Yes. Um, but I'm also I also really liked uh, a little bit of furthering of of Maruo's. Amaruo's like obsession with shonen protagonists. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yes. The fact that he's like he doesn't, and, and this was touched on a little bit earlier. He has he mentions like beating up weak people is not very cool or whatever. It's not something that he really uh, enjoys, right? He's not sadistic or anything, but mm-hmm, right. he enjoys like the core shonen idea of like never giving up and that type of thing, and that applies to his own backstory with his clearly abusive father. I just yeah. like that because these were like it was kind of sprinkled across. Um, the first chapter, and I think it was, I don't know, somewhere in the uh, in the middle where they were just picking up some of their lackeys, and yeah. I think seeing it a little bit more explicitly has just been pretty interesting, and I hope that it's something um, that we get to see more and more of that Maru has to deal with and confront and, like, why he is the way that he is, and yeah. whether or not that's going to change is something that I'm interested in. Yeah, yeah it, it definitely feels like they're just kind of... Um you know, giving you little bits of that abusive, you know, upbringing that Maruo had, just like the bare bones, you know, characterization and development, like backstory for the main character, because they're going to expand on that at a much later point. And we've seen that before. You get We little... already got that he beat his dad's ass, right? At yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, when absolutely. He was like tw- six or something like that. Right. Yep. So we did see that he whooped, he did eventually whoop his dad, but I I can just see like a full blown like backstory for Maruo just later on in the storytelling with his mom included, because we don't know anything about his mom at all. You know what I mean? So there's definitely more there and we've seen it in, you know, manga storytelling before where they just give you little crumbs, you know, of the MC's story and then Mm -hmm. dump some crazy shit on you at a a much later point when you're like thoroughly invested in the character. Yeah. but yeah, um, the focus on Mario in this chapter was was right on time for me. Like it's it's cool. Like you can have, like we've had Urara in the spotlight for multiple chapters in a row now, and that makes sense because like she's the more deeper character, you know, or whatever. And you can have Mario in the background, like just being an easy to love punch machine you know, like main character or whatever, while you flesh out, you know, the little Yakuza gang boss, you know, little by little. And it's not only for Urara's character, but you also get world building simultaneously when you focus on her because yep. of her ties to to the Yakuza. So you get some two-in-one to that writing there. Yeah. yeah, and then every so often you get a splash of development for Maruo, even better when he's facing this major first obstacle. And now things are starting to feel, you know, really, really good inside of the writing between both characters. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, the part that I quite liked where he's like, 
he's like, I don't care if I win. I just don't want to lose. And then prior to that, on page six, the when Dopo is like summoning the blizzard, yeah, the sign on the store literally says wins. It says what? Wins. wins. Yeah, wins. Just on the side. It's like one of the hanging signs. Oh, um, wins. It, oh, yeah. Yeah, it says wins. Like, literally, oh, like, shit. win, lose. And yeah. I was like, ah, oh, that's kind of cool. Where he's just like, <laughs> wins. And then just like, then it follows up. That has that follow up. It's like, I don't care about wins. I don't, I don't just, I just care about not losing. Yeah. I'm here to fight. Um, that is a cool and, spot. Wow. And the idea that like, I also like that little little thing on like page twelve. He's like, they don't turn evil no matter what they go through. Yeah, they never give up. Um, that I liked, and then hidden within all of that like personal development, um, Dopo is actually able to be punched in number thirteen. So I'm not entirely sure uh, what the condition is for Dopo's. Uh, you mean um, on page on wait on page that's hallucination no yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's hallucination. yeah that wasn't like yeah. an actual connection he was there. imagining that oh, yeah. oh brutal yeah. because on the next page he's on the ground past the fuck out yeah i think what happens is maru like breaks yeah. the ice off of him he's like he yeah. wants to keep going his mind keeps running the fight but he his body just kind of collapses yeah right. and that's why he, in the next page he's like i i like you you kind of scared me i was, I was a little nervous he yeah. Kept getting okay, up okay. My yeah i was wondering about that yeah but it made me wonder uh that is cool like, though that dopo ended up having snow based a snow based technique like right after we kind of like talked about because i mean like in the chapter before it's introduced as like a flame that mm -hmm. steals heat instead of just being naturally like you know, mm -hmm. hot like the fire that 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 we're used to. You know what I mean. And then we were talking about you know Maruo punching him in the last chapter and how it seemed to have to break apart, possibly like a snow effect. And it's kind of hard to tell because of Yuji Kaku's illustration style, um, without like raw explanation for it, like right next to it. But it, but it it did kind of feel almost like Monet, you know, in One Piece and like the way that attacks kind of like go through her so we were talking about the possibility that he could have some kind of snow related abilities on top of this you know heat stealing flame and then the next chapter we literally get a blizzard so that was really cool yeah them being a, a yukiona type yukiona is what you said yeah, 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 yeah. Mm -hmm. that was super tight the ice woman yeah. um and then uh this is confirmation of urara's like true form yeah, She's a Nekomata, dude. the two-tailed demon cat. Yeah. Nekomata, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, those are oh, uh, traditionally um, like domestic cats that like live a long time and then they reach a level of like growth and they have the chance to become these yokai when their tails split and they become that. Um, and there's like the ones that are like they're like it's basically domestic cats that show up, they become demons, and the more they were abused in their life as a cat, the more powerful they are as yokai. Ooh, um, they are vengeful spirits. They are going to, like, hunt the ones that, like, they, they bring a lot of calamity to those who have wronged them. And, like, they do stuff traditionally, like, um, playing a shamisen and dancing and, like, causing, like, corpses to come to life or, like, Ooh. animate corpses during funerals and stuff and, like, Whoa. poltergeist haunting of houses and stuff. Um, the Japanese actually had a tradition where they, um, they cut the tails off cats because they believed that, um, 
if the tail wouldn't split, they couldn't become yokai. What the fuck? Oh, shit. Like, way, way, way back when. What the fuck? Yeah, that's yeah. I didn't think of Nekomata at all. I've, I've definitely heard of that in Japanese <laughs> folklore before, but I think um, I just, like, thought it was Kirin, like, until just now because I saw somebody on the timeline, like, say, like, oh, she's a Kirin, and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. And I just kind of, like, went with it, you know what I mean? But, like, what you're saying right now is, like, totally what it is. <laughs> and I think, yeah. I think it fits with her character of clearly, like, trying to get uh sort of like retribution so yes. the idea of nekomata yes. being the, the, the type of yokai that are that grow stronger with the wrongdoings that were dealt to them i think that it's very fitting and i yeah. I, yeah. I really like how you can figure out a lot of what these characters are going to be or like kind of like their general arcs as characters based off of their yokai uh designs or like what type they are mm -hmm. i think that's very that's mm -hmm. a very interesting style of writing. So yeah. that was a nice I catch. It. I definitely didn't get that. Yeah. And yeah, Yuji Kaku is like known for just like dumping all of the research that he does for his stories, like right into the narrative. You know what I mean? So like, it's, yes. it, it, mm -hmm. the fact that the Nekomata story lines up that well with Urara's own kind of origin, as far as we understand it so far, is really fucking cool. Just like Ronan yeah. was saying, it's like we can I, just that look catalog just blew my fucking mind. Yeah, that shit was wild. <laughs> I'm oh, I keep that like, shit up, dude. What the I love fuck is stuff. wrong with these people? Like, yo, yeah, but I mean, like cutting the cat's tail, yo, that's crazy. I mean, um, like, if you think about it from like a worship and like, <sighs> a, you know, like a, you know, um, just like a religious standpoint of things, it's like you come to understand the lore things, of your, yeah. of your, you know, of your mythos, you know, to a certain degree, and it's like, well these Nakomata are definitely a thing. So like, let's just make sure that they get the yokai form properly yeah. and they transition by slicing I mean, why the not just tails like down the shit. Yeah. Treat every cat with absolute love and Absolutely, yeah, oh, for sure. No, yeah, actually, don't touch that's them. that's a big thing. That's a big thing. Um, Nekomatas would like curse a family seven generations for like cruelly killing cats. Whoa. Damn. Um, they'll do stuff like that. Um, I mean, even in Egypt, cats, are, like in Japan, in Egypt mythology, um, cats are sacred. Cats are, yeah. are related to, that Royalty. are considered sacred, and they're always um, related to like death, mm -hmm. right? And I think yeah. it's a little bit because, like, you know, those cats when you know, like, they're staring off at something, and you're like, what the fuck are you looking at? <laughs> <laughs> what are you looking at? Yeah. You know, and it's like, okay, I get it. I get it. Like, cats right being now, um, tied to like the dead. I was just oh, watching. Uh, yeah, I was, I was watching your cat in the background. I'm like Eagle, you better pay. You know, pay respect. Pay respect. <laughs> I was just pay watching respect, fucking. Uh, <laughs> give him some scritches. I was just watching the old mummy movies with Brendan Fraser and fucking. Yeah. Like, not that those are like you know really good references for Egyptian you know culture and like history or whatever, but like the scenes where Imhotep isn't like fully regenerated yet and they just keep pulling the cat out on him and he like he, like tries to run away yeah. from the cat turns into a fucking sand tornado and bounces like I'll be I love back. that that cat out of here. <laughs> I literally thought of that when I was like going through some of this stuff and yeah. I was like, man, get that um, cat out of here. Yeah. But it, it's it's really interesting because like like Enma is dead and like you know the old expression um you know they fucked up off the mountain yeah you know, they went up the mountain and fucked off and just mm -hmm. stuff so like um nekomata some of them come there's like two types of nekomata there's the ones that belong that come that live in the city and there's the ones that come from the mountains mm -hmm. so it's idea like she was up in the mountains she was in hiding and then she came down from the mountain into the city so i'm like ah this is yeah ah yeah that as soon as i saw that two split tails and i was like what the hell because i was looking at her face and i was like six eyes yeah what the fuck are you are you a are you like a kitsune are you uh 
What what are you? I wonder you if Neko did Neko Mata like when you search him or whatever, do they not like naturally have six eyes or whatever? Because I feel like that's a little splash of some some Yuji Kaju or Yuji Kaku throwing his stank on it. You know what I'm saying? I yeah. think he is. I think so yeah. too. Because like I, when I look at the pictures, it's just like like they look like kind of like humans, but like they got these weird cat faces. It's mm-hmm. it's it's like a, you know the Hermione Granger polymorph potion fuck up thing i'm like <laughs> you, you goofy looking i don't know right i think she looks um, yeah the design the design is beautiful super cool. so so worth the um the eight week nine week build up here definitely from yeah my opinion uh yeah i don't know i think it's really interesting because um nine numerically is like a traditional number for like power oh sure and so being in the ninth chapter she's unleashed her full pa- like supposedly her full power right. and even on her pelt those like little swirls that you see like those little spirit fire swirls that are on kimono mm-hmm. appear on her pelt and they look like nines so it's like ah that's cool oh shit yeah okay well, this is the end of the this is the end of the first volume right and I cats think, are yeah. supposed to have yeah. nine lives oh shit there you go yeah yeah there nine you lives. go cat's eyes yeah i love that <laughs> i love that <laughs> I I tell you what though I can't wait to see like Morrow's reaction when he wakes up and like realizes that he did lose the fight. Yeah. Like, did I win? What kind of like either despair or like determination that's gonna spur on him? He's gonna tie it back to manga and be like, "I lost. Good. Yeah. That means the yeah, training I, arc is next." Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's right. exactly what I was right. thinking. Is like, yeah, just like just like whatever manga history <laughs> decides to relate it to. He's like, yeah, I remember their first loss, then they got way stronger. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. I love that. The manga mm-hmm. protagonist motivation for Maruo is being handled extremely well, in my opinion. Like, it's not overbearing. It doesn't get you know annoying. At least not for me, anyway. It's written in a more mature way than I originally thought it would be. And what also helps is that it's rooted in something that's just so relatable. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Especially, like, he's just a nerd, you know what I mean? Just like us. Every single one of us, anyone who's watching this right now, has wanted to be the main character of some kind of comic book story, whether it's a superhero or an actual manga protagonist. Like, if you've been, yeah. if you've been in this lifestyle, if you've been with the shits, yeah. like, the fiction, <laughs> like, if you've been with fiction your whole life, like... You literally tried to go Super Saiyan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, shut the fuck you up, mean, if you know, you from upstairs. Tried, <laughs> you tried to come at Hameha, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Give me your energy. All yo. that shit, all that shit. I mean, uh, yeah. straight up, when I was a kid, um, do you guys remember the series Escaflone? Absolutely. So they did the dowsing thing to, like, whenever she got stumped, she used the dowsing crystal to, like, figure out what to do. And I would do that when I was, like, literally lost or if I was stumped on, like, a multiple-choice test. And I was like, okay, cool. And I got fantastic grades. It was the dumbest thing ever. Um, so it I'm worked. Not a good... Yeah, it worked. Well, uh... <laughs> uh... Yeah, dude, this chapter is fire. Test, test, uh, or I mean, not test. Ugh, fuck test. Ten, ten, ten manning up. <laughs> ten manning yeah. up and, and, and not handing over the knife was, like, really good for me, too. Like, he had a great yeah. moment. He had a great moment, like, just as I was starting to think that he wasn't doing enough. You know what I mean? Like, he was just a guy who was there, and it's been a little bit too long of him being that weak, scared guy yeah. who's in the background, you know what I mean? And now it's really starting to feel a little bit like a squad now, you know what I mean? And I just I just love where we're at in the story right now. Yeah, for sure. It was yeah. a yeah, it was a big ten moment for me too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
Can I'm really excited. Definitely could have just folded and like tossed in the night. Uh, yeah. What? Wait. What were you saying, Ronan? I was just saying this chapter. I mean, really every chapter, but this chapter in particular has made me really excited to see where it goes because I feel like this is kind of where the story can really pick up. So far, it's felt a lot like introduction, a lot of buildup, which is necessary, and I've been here for it. But yes. I feel like we can really pick up the pace now and start seeing a lot of different things introduced in a way that I'm really excited for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think next chapter, I think next chapter we get the scene that we're talking about where Marwa wakes up, has to be explained, you know, has to have the situation kind of explained to him as far as what happened. Um, I definitely think that there's still more conflict, you know, to, to tell, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like mm -hmm. this is the last scene and then Marwa wakes up and then we're like filled in on the rest of the conflict later. It definitely could happen like that. But I definitely think that we get some Urara time to shine now that the knife has been, you know, taken out and she's in her form. So we'll see the conclusion of, of this probably next chapter. And then we'll get the Marwa scene where he wakes up, like what happened? They tell him, he's like, oh, shit, I remember when this happened to Jotaro, blah, 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 blah. Just like what Ronan was saying. But then I think that really soon we go into 1010 origin too. And we get like some more like like a 1010 back. Or did we already get a 10? Or not 1010. But did we already get a 10 backstory at all? I don't think we really got anything. He just kind of showed really, up. Yeah. He was weird. He fucking, you know, like we got a little bit of of, of, uh, of information about his character as far as what he's kind of been going through the last however long with like kind of just being a fucking doormat for whoever the fuck he's working for. But I don't think we've actually gotten like any kind of black guttered you know, flashback for him. And I think that that would be cool to get next if we are going to start picking up the pace afterward. I really wonder, because, like, he just looks like um, the Sobble, like that new Pokemon, that water chameleon Pokemon that just cries a lot. And I was just like, look at him. Is that, like, a brand new, like, from, like, the, the new new shit? Because I wouldn't... Um, I remember yeah. a Sableye, but I don't remember whatever um, you're talking about. Sobble is... Oh, God, I can't read Roman. Uh... <laughs> generation eight oh okay yeah yeah i don't think but I... he just looks like a little sobble uh, oh, i was just sure. like oh look at a little tadpole looking yeah thing. i can see like some pokemon you know inspiration inside of his like yokai-ish form absolutely yeah. Yeah, yeah i wonder if he's like a little frog demon like he's just a little tadpole you know like Ooh. A little frog in a big pond. And he's That'd be just tight. Like, ah, fuck. That'd be tight. <laughs> I'm scared. Yuji Kaku likes his like amphibious, you know what I mean? Like almost like reptilian, like kind of care, you know, uh, monsters and shit like that. Uh, I think it would be, be tight cool. if he was like a cool frog demon later and we got some like tongue action. You know what I mean? Like Tom, inside, yeah, inside of his inside of his fighting style, pause or whatever. But you know, you know what I'm uh, saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dude, he's just like yoink, quack. Yeah. <laughs> like, like Asui kind of stuff. Just yeah, like, like some oh. Greninja shit. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm, like, that'd be mm -hmm. dope. That'd be dope. I'd love that. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm super so, excited but... for Yashima, man. I don't know if I have too much more to speak on for this chapter specifically, but. I personally yeah, don't. Um, yeah. I think that, like, it's going to be very interesting that, like, Urara is emboldened by Maruo and Ten's like blind faith in her, and yeah. I think she's just not used to that kind of level of trust and confidence. Because Especially even Dopo's like, because even Dopo's like thing of like she was abandoned, she wasn't entrusted with anything, and she's like, ah, that hurt. Like, yeah. Hmm. And then you have uh, Maruo and Ten over here, like, we don't care. She's great. That's older sis. Right. Fuck you, mean. Ride, ride or die, right. baby. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> Even more than that, we she we got her, she's got our loyalty. Let's go. Yeah, straight up. Um, straight up. I wonder how Dopo's gonna try to save face. You know, he he's blown his big power. Like the Amyo bureaus on their way. Like, how is he gonna? And he started a war straight up. Like already, yeah. he sent out his forces. I don't think he's gonna have enough time to hunt her down like that. I mean, I think they're gonna square up. Like, I think he's still got shit up his sleeve. I don't think he yeah, showed like he near, still has that mirror guy. I don't. I don't think he showed nearly enough of of, of his power for mm-hmm. for me to think that. I, and I know that Urara is like in her fucking like you know Super Saiyan mode right now, and she's about to go crazy. But I think Dopo still got a little bit more. A lot more fucking gas in the tank, that's for sure. And I feel like yeah, we, we could yeah. get like a really cool clash in this next Ooh. chapter between, you know, final form Urara and a serious Dopo, which I think would be cool. I still think that this situation gets interrupted in some kind of way, whether Urara mm-hmm. finds an opening and just grabs everyone and bounces as soon as she can. Maybe she does that instantly at the start yeah. of the next chapter. Um but I think it would be tight to get a little bit of a collision and then Maybe Onmyo Bureau dude shows up and distracts Dopo for some reason, and then she fucking grabs Maruo and fucking bounces mm-hmm. with Ten or something like that. But, yeah, I mean, her plan is to dip one way or another, so right. it's got to be... You know. Oh, yeah, and they got to grab Hashihime, too, out the back of the car. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like, yeah, we can. And on the way out, she has to take care of the one bald mirror guy because that's how they tracked her. Oh shit! She needs to take care of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or they're just gonna like find them later, and they're like, "Well, we don't have time to heal." Yeah. Because we keep getting found. Mm-hmm. But if Elmio Bureau shows up or something like that, then maybe that'll isolate that factor. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I've got nothing. Okay. But yeah, I think uh, I'm good on Ayashimon. I think so as well. I agree. All right, well, with that, I think we can go ahead and jump right into chapter 114 of Mission Yozakura Family, Decisive Battle of the Eldest Children. Fire. Yeah. Another uh, just kind of slice of life-y, feel-good, family development, you know, relationship development um, kind of chapter. So, yeah, yeah. that was always true. Yeah. yeah, the dialogue on... on uh... The dialogue on page three about how the grandparents are so old that and they've been they've been they've been in the game for for so long that random fond memories that they have might uh or that you know random fucking like you know reminiscences i think is how they is how yeah they reminiscences yeah. like random fond memories they might bring up are probably highly classified like, yeah, it could start wars if yeah. anybody gets a hold of them. That shit was, like, so cool, because it's, like, even in the more slice-of-life chapters, shit like that makes you remember just how serious Gondaira is about this world. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, they make sure that everything ties into this super spy shit as much as it can. The immersion is just is just <coughs> on the charts. It, the, the immersion is there no matter what tone the series has. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, just, I just really appreciate that about Yozakura family, because... You know they're in the letters like, you remember when I was slitting that guard's throat and his buddy caught me and the donkey <laughs> kicked him in the back of his fucking dome? Like, yo, <laughs> we were in some country, XX country, doing this operation, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. You Somebody can't. get a hold of that letter, it's over. It's with. over. It's like, you was doing what? Where? You was with doing who? what? Where? When? Huh? With whose donkey? Oh, no. I thought I had to seduce the ambassador of Chechnya because of your fuck up. Yeah. Remember that? No. It's funny, um, but I think it's crazy that they had to, like, um, that, because, like, there's, like, it's an errand shop, but, like, and in addition to, like, the, like, reminiscence and stuff, I liked that, like, 
um, Mitsumi was just like, hey, can you order like 33 pounds of like wolf's bane? Because that's what monk's hood is. It's an aconite, um, it's an aconite plant. It's highly poisonous. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's it, it, it grows. It's a perennial plant. It grows in a lot of places. It can grow in Iowa. Um, I know oh. a guy that has them as ornamental plants, and he's like, yeah, I put them behind other, like, sharper shrubbery and plants with thorns so that dogs and children don't get into it. That's hilarious how like, relevant he organized his garden you. around that. And I was like, good for you. And I was yeah. like, but why do you have that? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, cool. That's cool. <laughs> that's a cool little I'm bit watching. of information i definitely saw that like monk's hood shit i was like monk's hood monk shoed Mon i didn't know like how to like <laughs> yeah um <laughs> i didn't yeah, know how to pronounce it a lot of different names because yeah. uh it goes by aconite wolfsbane because people would use that to put it inside like meat bait to kill off wolves it's also known as mousebane um it's it's uh, it does a lot of shit um, oh, that's cool i love the uh i love the sibling rivalry between uh, Kyoichiro and Futaba in this chapter is so fucking amazing. Like I said, yeah. last review, fucking the mangaka, uh, Hitsuji Gondaira, always snaps on these, like, two-character, you know, two-character pairings. You know what I mean? And the, the two-eldest sibling theme is yeah. really good for this one. Cause it, like, plus the fact that their like biggest argument is over like who remembers enough about the younger siblings or whatever. Like that makes all the sense in the world for the two oldest characters to argue about that. It's very organic and 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 believable in that way. It feels like it feels like Gondira considers literally every single factor when he's writing any scene. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he really lives in this world. You know what I mean? Like, I honestly yeah yeah go yeah. ahead. Oh no 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 that was that was it. Go ahead. Okay, I, I just think that this author in general is just really, really good at writing, like in a battle series, writing yeah. slice of life, slow, like down to earth stories. Yeah. Like, this doesn't say most mangaka aren't, but I feel like it's very easy to fumble to the point where it comes off as like boring or filler. Whereas with Mission Yozakura, we can go from action packed, you know, plot uh, uh plot changing uh chapters one week and then the next week it's slow it's this character driven like uh, a plot that takes place over the the course of like a day but it yeah. feels like it makes sense and it and it feels important i i care about seeing these characters fleshed out um and it's handled i think very very carefully and entertainingly might i add it's funny seeing uh futaba and kyochiro go back and forth and, and seeing <laughs> like tayo trying to keep them from like you know just going at it in the middle of, of wherever they're at yeah dude yeah and i love that it, it, yeah yeah go ahead eagle on the scenes these scenes and chapters always feel so organic like that's yeah. like the, that's my favorite part about it it's like they never feel overly injected or like just overly stagnating as far as the story goes sure. like it, it makes total sense that they would need to like go to the mall to pick up these items like okay we're assassins we need this poison we got to deliver this letter we got to do it personally by hand to this store we're going to kill two birds with one stone here and obviously like you said it makes sense that these two characters together would definitely yeah. go be going tit for tat there's always a solid getting annoyed with each other yeah you know? like the connecting theme between you know the the characters that are being focused on like there's such an uh, an organic and believable dynamic you know, between them whenever we get chapters like these that focuses on one sibling and another one and their relationship with each other. You know what I yeah. mean? And I love that last moment that we get where Kyo Kyo Kyoichiro 
tells Futaba that he's glad that she's the eldest daughter. That shit slaps so hard because they aren't really the kind of characters that would outright tell each other about their anxieties as eldest children and how the burden of looking after and protecting the younger siblings is. You know what I mean? But you can feel some serious unspoken bond shit in this chapter. And I love that shit, man. Like, when you've got, like, between the lines shit between two characters that we understand a great deal... And like what their role in the story is, like any kind of between the lines shit like that is always going to slap. And I love that this is now two chapters in a row of slap ass Kyoichiro moments with yeah. with his siblings, you know, mm-hmm. like really heart to heart sentimental talking moments, like at the end of this chapter and at the end of the last chapter with Nanao. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, just slap super hard to like get, you know, a further in depth look to that sentimentality of a character like Kyoichiro who is often kind of stoic, I guess, you know, for the most part. He's, he, I think Kyoichiro suffers sometimes because he is, like, the classic, like, obsessed with his sister, one-note character sometimes. So right. it's really nice that he, they're really broadening and, like, backing away from just that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's good that, like, they started off really strong, and then, that, like, as the series has gone, they've been, like, slowly reeling that back and yes. just, like, touching on it every now and again. Like, yeah. that's about it, like, through dialogue. Um, well, and it's, it's probably something that will culminate to a moment similar to these moments we're getting with the siblings between Kyoichiro and, Ma- um, I was going to say Mauro. Um, <laughs> why can't, why am I blanking Tayo? on the fuck? Tayo. Tayo, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's a lot of names. It's a lot of names. It's a lot of series. It's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Between Kyoichiro and Tayo, where he says, you know, and maybe he says, you know, I've noticed you, like, have been a lot less clingy with Mutsumi, you know, these past weeks or months or whatever. And he's, like, just maybe has a conversation with him about how through the things that have happened and the, and the experiences they've been through, like, he has started to trust him more. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, um... And have faith that he can protect Mutsumi and that he doesn't need to be, you know, the way he is anymore. Right. And I think that's that's showing a little bit now, maybe even without him saying it. Yeah. Um, maybe he's not even noticing it yet, you know. And I love how we get, like, this second-hand development for the other siblings vicariously, like, through the dialogue of the two eldest siblings who... Make, like, like I was saying earlier, it makes all the sense in the world that they have this information to give about these characters because when you're building a family, you need to like switch up the way that you give information about these characters. You can't just every time you want to learn something about Shion and Kengo have a chapter that's focusing on them. In a chapter like this where the two eldest siblings are interacting with each other, one of the strongest points that links the two is how much they know about everyone under them that they helped raise. So yes. us getting secondhand development for Kengo and Shinzo and Shion through this argument between Kyoichiro and Futaba is really creative. Like, I just love the vibe. It like, just always feels so perfect whenever anything is character-driven inside of Yozakura family. Yeah. And Godiver is really good at taking, like, the initial characterizations and, like, gimmicks of the characters that, like, we kind of, like, come to know them through. Like, Kyoichiro is overprotective of Mutsumi to a really cringy degree, etc., etc. He's really good at taking those really simple character quirks and then expanding on them to give us deeper character writing later on through the experiences of any other character. Like, there was that one scene um, in here where his overbearingness on Mutsumi is kind of thrown in his face again by Futaba in this very offhanded, like, panel where he's, like... Where is oh, it? 16? Uh, is it 16? 
Yeah, uh, he's like they're talking about like how Kengo couldn't handle the death of a cat. Yeah, and he's like he needs to learn through experience. You're always so overprotective. And then Futaba's like, that's rich coming from Mutsumi's stalker. You know what I mean? Like, it's comedy, but it's also just showing how well these characters know each other and mm-hmm. how, like, all of those points of characterization can come back to influence later dialogue and later, you know, fleshing out of characters in either comedic or deeper ways. You know what I mean? is really good at remembering all of the things about these characters because they feel so real. Like, they feel like they're actually modeled off of people that Gondaira knows in, in their life, you know what I mean? And that's mm-hmm. one of the strongest vibes that Yozakura family gives me. Yeah. And, like, these interactions really bring you into the family because, like, you can, totally, you can totally picture how the, the series of events went, even, like, through this kind of time jump at the end of the chapter, like, oh, surprisingly, they're getting along. Like, they're talking the whole way home, like, t- oh, chatting about whatever. Yeah. Having these moments. And then, like, it comes to a point later on where they're, like, busting out the snacks and fucking yeah. Kyoichiro's like, here, have a bite of mine. And she's yeah. like, oh, I'm good. With no ill intent. And he's yeah. like, eh? <laughs> I said have a bite. It's delicious. <laughs> and she's like, no, I'm good, for real. And she's like, he's like, no! Nah! <laughs> fighting about it i love how obnoxious they are to each other because in my experience i've seen a lot of siblings interact with each other that's 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 real mm-hmm. that's real oh Especially yeah it the is older siblings. yeah They're absolutely like, like uh one of my childhood friends the older brother tried to sell me his younger brother for dragon ball z card yeah see yeah and i was <laughs> like i don't want him you got him yeah you can be an older brother you can take him yeah <laughs> Yeah, sibling cats are in the back wrestling. Right. Yeah, I feel it too. Like I'm one of six. You know what I mean. So like all of this, like you know, Yozakura family stuff inside of like most of the siblings and their rankings Mm -hmm. in 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 age. Like I resonate with all of that shit inside of my own household. You know what I mean. So just a Uh, certified slapper every time. Who are you? Who are you in the chain? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm I'm uh I'm the second son, or I'm the third son. So like I'm the youngest son, but I'm the You're the now. Yeah, yeah. I'm the now. But I'm not the youngest youngest. I have uh I have a younger sister. And mm-hmm. yeah, so I think I'm still the now. No, the now is the now is just the youngest in general out of all. And the now is the youngest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The youngest. The youngest. <laughs> now is the youngest. Oh yeah, but I think I'm like, you know, yeah. So my youngest sister, me, first oldest sister, second oldest sister, third oldest sister, and then two older brothers. I'm Tayo, I'm an only child. <laughs> Oh shit! Yeah. Uh, oh, that's sad. Wait, <laughs> Tyler's only an only <laughs> only child because he lost his whole family. Yeah. <laughs> no, I got my mom, so you know, uh, but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Me. yeah. Um, you know what's really interesting is like I didn't really realize this at first, but like yeah. having Nanao and now the Futaba Koichiro like heart to heart episodes back to back makes you realize that underneath that bucket, Nanao and Futaba look like identical. <laughs> oh wow like i just realized that, like oh, i was looking at their face and i was like he uh she looks like now and then i was like oh i see what they did right there yeah the irony that they look i like they really look alike but then the youngest is the biggest and then the oldest is the smallest and i'm like ah oh wow that's funny that's yeah. funny little little uh little visual irony and i was like ah, oh, that's great that's hilarious bro i feel bad for those model kits i i, I understand that pain just yeah the model kit (laughs) shit bro like i i had gotten like introduced to like model 
um, painting and and um, and construction when I was working at this one job that was in a call center and like everyone's kind of lined up in their cubicles like down the rows or whatever and my cubicle neighbor like very to the left of me like had this fucking elaborate Gundam figurine setup, you know what I mean? Like on in his cubicle, like he had cold blooded shit that had to be like ten racks worth of fucking Gundam figures oh, yeah. on his fucking shit. And he would tell me every day how fucking crazy the process is. How you have to be so careful when you're taking parts out of the fucking casings to not like overbreak the fucking like sticks and shit because yeah. they because it's like connected by like shit that's perforated and then you kind of like wiggle it out and have to like remove it or whatever and you have to be so careful not to like over break anything or whatever and i just remember getting a crash course on that and i'm reading this chapter and she's just like huh dink and just like pulls the shit oh. out and i'm like oh Ow. i'm not even a collector and and that just hurt from sitting next mm -hmm. to a collector for fucking two years at this job like like, be careful with that shit, Futaba. So God damn it. Hand. Yeah, I was like, be careful, motherfucker. <laughs> Real. But yeah, beautiful chapter, man. Can't wait for the next one. Like, I'm I'm happy to stay inside of this, like, two pairing, you know, two sibling pairing kind of storytelling for a while. Mm -hmm. I definitely want to get back to the overarching narrative with, like, the father and, you know, and the... and the Oh, the ancestors? Yeah, yeah. and the ancestors and shit. Like, I want, I definitely want to get back to that, but I am loving these slice-of-life character-building chapters inside of the two sibling pairings, bro. Like, I, this shit is slapping for me right now. I yeah. wonder if Tayo is going to... When he's going to go through his, like, gold rank certification process. Oh, he's sure. he's definitely gotten stronger since he's gotten his silver He's silver stuff. now, were, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's silver right now, and they're talking about, like, oh, we need to go get this stuff from the store, but we need at least two gold member uh, to deliver this letter, right? So uh, yeah. I was like, okay, it's a reminder that rank exists, and uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of expecting it to happen maybe the next three chapters. Fuck yeah, dude. Let's go! Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's all I had for Yozakura. Yeah. Ronan, you got new Ronan, you got anything else for Yozakura? Not really. I mean, I just like the small character interactions. Uh, I think they're very important to building up bigger scenes because, in general, I think a lot of people like to like gloss over the necessity of having chapters or having scenes where you just get to know these characters. Sometimes people want just go 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 action action action. It's like that's great sometimes, right? Yes. But only if you have the buildup. Like, if you right. don't, it's just it's just cool art, right? And it's just basically cool art if you don't have a connection to these characters. So chapters like this are, like, stretches of the manga where we're getting to relate to these characters. We see how they view each other um, and things like that is just, I think, really nice. And it it's a good change of pace, and it makes me more excited to just see how or what's even going to go down in the next chapter. Because with Mission Yozakura, you never really know. It's kind of like, it's just a, it's a coin flip. All right, are we going to get in-depth uh like plot details are we going to be slice of life right. you know so it's, it's kind of exciting to yeah. kind of have that guesswork for for the next upcoming chapters that's a great yeah, you point. definitely don't want to yeah. get into like monster of the week type scenario mm. and especially i feel like i've said before on the, on the show i feel like this is a series where it could be easy to fall into that being that it literally is mission of the week right um it works so well inside of a series like this so stuff. it's good to see yeah like yeah you know it swerves from that mission of the week enemy of the week oh we're fighting this spy or this assassin or this this uh bombardier saboteur yeah. or whatever 
Yeah. Um, this person's trying to assassinate Mutsumi. Like all that is obviously different plot lines, but it right. can begin to feel a little bit redundant. Sure. Um, so I think yeah, these these swerves and stuff like this where we get these really wholesome character interactions, yeah. super fun. Yeah, and going back to Ronan's point real quick before we before we close it out about how um, you know the necessity of taking breaks away from action and drastic pacing to kind of focus on your characters and how Mission Yozakura family kind of does that so well without the slowed down character driven chapters feeling like filler chapters is I feel like a lot of mangaka are scared to break up their momentum or their pacing with just raw character driven you know almost slice of life kind of chapters like these you know what i mean and, and instead they just kind of try to bake that kind of writing into the story along with the the pacing and momentum that they already have and it works for a lot of mangaka but a story like mission yozakura family really makes you appreciate the times where a mangaka can just stop the momentum and go let's focus on i tayo and mutsumi let's focus on Nanao and Kyoichiro. Let's focus on Futaba and Kyoichiro. The overarching narrative isn't going anywhere. They're not going to fucking axe this shit for three weeks of fucking, you know, character-driven <laughs> writing. You know what I mean? Like, let's slow this shit down and give some people some more wholesome family-building content in a story about a literal family. You yeah. know what I mean? And I just, I just love that about Yozakura. But definitely, that's yeah. all I had though. Yeah, yeah, I'm good too. Good shit. Man. All right, well, with that, I think we can go ahead and jump right into chapter 172 of Jujutsu Kassen. Tokyo number one, Colony part 12. Ronan, how did you feel about this chapter, man? This chapter was a banger. I mean, this chapter, this chapter went crazy. Now, Woo! on two levels. One, I'm already, I'm just a big fan of JJK, obviously. But mm. two, Megumi is my personal favorite character. Yes. Right? So seeing him shine, seeing him put in work, after a lot of slander of, like, you know, Megami trash, whatever, blah, blah, blah. He loses all his fights. You know, it's good seeing him, like, just show why he's great, right? Yeah. All in all, I think, I don't think it's very d difficult to say this is probably his best fight in the series. For sure. Like, just, like, it's just, it's the tactics, the the mind games, the the arsenal. I, like, I just the like everything thinking. about exactly yeah. i just i just really enjoyed a mind battle between reggie and megami because reggie's no slouch in terms of his no. of his mental either like he's yes. he was you know he was megami in he's my opinion yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> they were having a, a decent back and forth in terms of the mind games right yeah. and i think this was a really good chapter all around it expanded this fight in general but specifically this chapter just expanded um kind of our awareness of how Megumi fights, yes. right? He always, always, especially after this, to me, this really shows a big development in his character because before this, he would have relied on Mahoraga as this last resort, right? Yeah, he, he would have threatened it two, three times before yeah. the end of the fucking conflict. Exactly. He would be willing. He's like, I, I, damn, I'm in a tough position. I can't think of a way to win this fight. Let me make sure that no matter what, we'll both lose. Now, he always keeps something in the back pocket that he can completely control. Whether that be domain expansion, he uses the gym to his advantage. Whether that be hiding his divine dog in the back pocket, making him think. The, the crazy thing to me is he made Reggie think since the very beginning of the fight that he could not use divine dog. Like, he had that waiting the entire fight. And I'm like, yes. wow, that's that's insane that yes. he, he manipulated. He just 
he was just playing chess the entire time, always at least one step ahead. Right. And I think this was just a great chapter to show that Megumi's is just all around progressed quite a bit from where he once was, fighting-wise yes. and mentally. Absolutely. This fight was incredible. Um, I love how strong Reggie ended up being. Um, mm -hmm. It reminds me of... Because uh, he was he was introduced as someone that everybody thought that Megumi was just going to dust, like, yeah. instantly. Yeah. Like, motherfuckers thought he was going to get slid, like, the chapter after he was fucking introduced. You know what I mean? So... Goofy looking. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> I'm it, me. Yeah, I'm me, boy. I knew. Yeah, nice, I don't nice. Like, I'll sleep guys that look like that. I definitely thought that that he was, you know, a, like a bitch. You know what I mean? Like it reminded yeah, me for of. Sure. <laughs> yeah, it, it reminded me of um of what I thought about like Battle Beast in in Invincible. If you guys have seen like Invincible in that mm, episode, okay. yeah, yeah, in that episode okay. where he's talking to like you know the Daft Punk helmet, you know, mafia boss or whatever in his fucking building oh, yeah. and then all of a sudden he just like yeah. summons these you know three henchmen out of an extra dimensional portal and i was like who the fuck is this lion-faced rando henchman number three you know what i mean like it's kind of like what i thought like when i saw him and he ended up being just like the most dominating force in the scene you know what i mean he was and, so scary he's so scary yeah like series. just a so monster you know and I, like i just was not expecting that at all so whenever i get that feeling inside of a series i always just appreciate the shit out of that because reggie did not look all that strong but he's no ho tell you right yeah. now this motherfucker is dead serious and he was from start to finish you know what i mean mm -hmm. yeah i mean reggie was cocky but like he backed it up the entire time i was like this he's he's on to some yeah. i do like like i i agree um like Ronan, I after watching the uh, episode of yours, um, like Yuji is not a good person. Um, episode, you're like one of his core things is that he doesn't. He will uh, do whatever he wants, and he will like because of that. He will accept whatever consequences happen to him, which is why he was so ready to like throw out a Mahuraga whenever he was backed into a corner. And he's like, I'm just gonna accept the consequences of doing whatever I want to do. But like. Since the Shibuya incident arc, he's become a lot more tactical. He plays a lot more chess. Um, You're talking about like Megumi or Yuji? Uh, sorry, Megumi. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. you said Yuji, and I was like, wait a minute. I feel like you're yep, talking yep. about Megumi. I'm getting right my now. wires crossed. Yeah, no, you're uh, good. You're good. Just wanted to clear that up. Um, exactly. Uh, Megumi, Yuji, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> Same guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Two peas in a pod. Right, uh, right. No. Um, but, like, with Megumi, he was showing that tactical side uh, a little more during the fight club infiltration bit mm -hmm. where i was like all right all right let's go let's go and uh um i i hope that like it goes on because he is cold-blooded he doesn't believe that like reggie or um the scorpion haired gal or any of these other people are good people he doesn't believe they're good people so he's totally willing to just cut them down if that serves his purposes right yeah. um and i really appreciate that because um i think that's also stems from his like sorcerer training you know sure. the idea that like the weak get devoured you know sentimentality doesn't have a place on the battlefield right and i also get the feeling that like because they use curse techniques which are influenced by negative emotions yeah i think that there is like a social culture that cultivates kind of that negative thinking 
to enhance their powers to to cultivate those levels of techniques um because even like reggie at the end was like all sorcerers are con artists we're not truthful we're not honest we're not pure in any way you keep your trump card in your back pocket as long as you can you lie as often as you can and you get shit done as quickly as you can Mm -hmm. without having to like some sorcerers obviously lean into the aspect of the power system that strengthens your technique as you explain it to somebody but like for someone that's that's conning someone in and of itself exactly yeah like both sides are i'm going to manipulate you because toto's a good example he he told hanami his technique but kind of like he he led him on to believe that it only worked in certain ways he told half truths yeah and left out a lot of how his terse technique works because when you're in that kind of situation where you know that it's a thing in the power system and hanami even said earlier in the fight during the exchange festival like someone was like oh i think it was maki was like, oh, you're going to tell us how your, your your technique works? That was nice of you. And Anami was like, apparently it makes my technique stronger. So, yeah. you know, like they, like we got that scene with Hanami and then fast forward to Toto's introduction to the fight with Boogie Woogie and he goes out of his way to explain the technique. Naturally, Hanami would go, oh, he's probably doing the thing where you explain your technique and it strengthens it, but didn't realize that Toto was only using that aspect of the, of the power system to lead Hanami into a false sense of security because he wasn't telling the entire technique he wasn't actually explaining exactly how boogie woogie works because that's not the kind of technique he has where he can explain it and then it gets stronger but how would hanami know that that's just the level of thinking that's required in these jujitsu battles and that's something that's so reminiscent of hunter hunter and something that i just appreciate so much about the inspiration that you can feel inside of jujitsu kaisen because it takes from its inspirations just enough but make sure that it's its own thing first and foremost. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I 100% um, agree. I, go ahead, go ahead. No, absolutely. Go ahead. So you mentioned this earlier, but like Megami was showing real like real tactical mindsets, uh, post Shibuya, especially with like Karara's technique. Um, that technique is to this day just the most like i i reread that chapter still, yeah like, okay what what was that technique again like yeah. I'm, I'm i'm dead confused about that yeah. but <laughs> um megami figures it out within the span of what we can assume to be a couple minutes yeah but i think this is something that's been expanded but it's not new like even pre shibuya really getting into it he shows he's able to figure out awasaka's technique in the span of a couple of minutes he's like yes. he hit him a couple of times he's like nah no way you're that tough all right let me let me let me figure out what this is and right. then comes back he's like all right Yuji, i'm gonna use your superhuman strength and speed and yes. my versatility and we're gonna get it done and yeah. that makes me think there's two things right one i like the parallel of yuji facing somebody that's super earnest being higuruma right yeah. um the, the earnesty kind of clashing and that's the reason yuji was able to get away essentially scot-free for his crimes i guess you could say sure. um although um but megami fights just a schemer just like him right they're both fighting um they're not their, their opposites the other side of their coins yeah. Exactly, yeah. sorcerers that are exactly like them, and Parallels. I'm interested. Yeah, of course, I, that's the best way I could put it. Um, and I think it makes it very interesting, or I'm at least personally very interested to see how Yuji and Megami now can work together because Megami is the best version he's ever been of himself. Yeah. Same for Yuji. So I'm curious of how you pair Yuji's strength with Megami's intelligence and just versatility with his technique. 
how strong are they? Like, what are they putting down as a as a dynamic duo? Right. Yeah. Oh man, I just realized that Reggie is the perfect parallel because he came with minions and his mm-hmm. and his receipts work as Shikigami. Oh my god. Yeah, uh, but yeah. like, I was very deeply invested in this fight. I-, I love it so much. The visual storytelling is really cool, and I like the um, like the first few pages. I like the kind of like breakdown that is um reminiscent of like how Doctor Stone functions, sure. in that they are they pay very close attention to what is the real world analogs represented in their series. Absolutely. They talk about like circulation and how to like minimize stress on the body by lowering your core and like the actual weight of an elephant, the weight of a building. Yeah. Um, and, and like, but I also like the visual storytelling touches of like Megumi's hair being completely flattened because yes. of the weight. weight. Yeah. And I was like, mm-hmm. and then uh, it, like the logical consistency through the fiction yes. of like how Reggie's power worked and like because like I never thought about it when he was like oh yeah if I give it a command it'll disappear shortly after and I was like you know what I didn't see those knives or daikon or any of those things just laying around in the background Afterwards, and like right. Gege is so meticulous with detail and yeah. I just kind of overlooked it and I was like ah that track and you could, I, I looked you back and I was like, wait out. a yeah. second. Yeah. And I was like, oh man, that, that is cool. Um, I thought the trick with the cars was genius. And he's like, yeah, I left him in there just in case. Like, yeah. Going back to what you were saying about the um, tie in the analog to like real world, you know, things in regards to the g-force explanation of how much the body can withstand and whatnot when you have a bot when you have a battle of wits kind of exchange like we're seeing in this fight between megumi and reggie that kind of tie to reality really helps for that kind of situation i want to say because when you have scientific concepts being explained to you to help give context to the phenomenon that's happening inside of the chapter that you're reading inside of a power system that's already very nuanced and complicated it really adds to that battle of wits vibe and what i also appreciate about this particular battle of wits exchange between megumi and reggie is that it's so much on the wit side of things while also being a very physical confrontation at the same time so gege has achieved a really interesting balance in his action storytelling to where it can feel so witty and so cerebral, you know, of a conflict while also being very physical at the same time. We're seeing just as much of Gege's, um, you know, profession in the area of choreography as we do pretty much anything else that he's good at that's being shown inside of this fight where I feel like a lot of mangaka would focus on one or the other. You know what I mean? Exactly. Gege just... Yeah, go ahead. Masterful when it comes to fights. Like yeah. it's it's both, right? And I think I think he he does a very good job of contrasting like with Yuji and Higuruma, we get mainly physical, right? There's it, it's kind of like they they he reversed it so that we can get the best of both worlds. So there's some mental aspect where Yuji has to figure out he can get a retrial, right? But mainly it's a physical confrontation um for an entire chapter where Yuji's just trying not to die, right? Yeah. And then in this, we get a large confrontation where Megami, for the most part, is playing a mental long game, but there is obviously some combatant. There's some, there's some physical fighting, especially towards the end, where they're, where literally um, just throwing hands. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right. 
it makes me like, damn, he kind of he kind of strong. Like he, yeah. <laughs> no wonder he was able to hold up my entire elephant. Right. Um, one thing I want to harp on just real quick because it it kind of just occurred to me, um, as I was scrolling through. So you know how like the Zenin are supposed to be this rival clan with the Gojo. Um, like it's kind of implied that the Zenin are or have been able to counter Gojo clan abilities in the past. Yeah. I find it just very interesting. Maybe this is a coincidence, maybe not. I find it very interesting that Megami's domain seems to be the complete opposite of what Gojo's does, where once Reggie goes into it, it he, he makes it very clear that it's complete nothingness. There's no resistance to his falling. There's no yeah. buoyancy. And and Gojo's is just infinite everything. information. Yeah, yeah, it's just everything. Yeah. Um, I just find that, I just think it's a very interesting yeah. um, kind of dichotomy. That's such a cool spot, dude. That is. <clears throat> Literally like... from nothingness inside of the void of the Shadow Abyss to yeah. the everythingness that is infinite void. Mm -hmm. That's oh. so fucking sick. It's interesting. Oh, that's wild because like Gojo was the one that trained him too. So right. like... Uh, curse technique is often influenced by one's perception too, which is mm -hmm. why it gets strengthened by like revealing. It's like, hey, this is ability. It's powerful in these ways, and so because the opponent is perceiving that, that becomes sort of true. So like, sure. I think that like being under Gojo's wing may have influenced his like shadow ability and stuff to be like, hey, I'm thinking about what it holds i'm thinking about what it doesn't hold emptiness etc right um, wow when you think about like gojo as a character and how above normal his thought processing and just brain power is compared mm -hmm. to the natural to the average person like we get introspective you know writing for like gojo's mental in combat like all the time but what about mm -hmm. just like his regular thought webs when he's just having a conversation with someone do we really get in-depth writing as far as how his brain and his mind is processing the information that he gets because if you think about a character like gojo who's taken the role of actually training these kids when he's looking at megumi who seems to be like his star child you know, essentially mm -hmm. under his wing, it's like, of course, Gojo would look at his shadows and go, what is that abyss like? Like, what does it mean to be in your shadows as a mm -hmm. 10 shadows user, as a Zenin clan member? Like, and of course, Gojo would probably put together that his shadow abyss is like the exact opposite of his ultimate curse technique like he could probably probably put that together himself so who better to teach megumi about his capabilities than someone who has the opposite side of that coin inside of their own capability yeah you know what and, I mean? and one thing that i you you saying that just like made something click in my head yeah i think it's very it makes a lot of sense right when you realize that like six eyes users are like these they have like this godlike perception um and what yeah. better way to erase their ability to perceive things than to put them into complete darkness where there is no information to get anything. Yes. I just think it just, it just applied that, like, because Gojo, you, you were talking about, like, his thought process. Gojo probably just processes information on a completely different realm than normal people, right? We know Absolutely. that, like, and Jaku's like, yeah, one, one second for Gojo's, like, one minute to regular people, right? So right. you want to eliminate that, put him in a place where there is no information to, to receive. Had, and that's just, yeah. Yeah, and I, I that just, oh, man, that gave me goosebumps just thinking about it. Yeah, just thinking nice. about how, ugh. Yeah, because like Gojo would have to think about, like, what the counters to his own capabilities are. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, he, as, as, as all-powerful and overpowered Gojo is, and Gojo knows that he is, he's still 
one of the brightest minds, if not the brightest mind in the series. So mm-hmm. even though he is cocky and arrogant and, you know, some can say he has a God complex, he is still a very critical thinker at the end of the day and has to mm-hmm. think about his own shortcomings. However, you know, minuscule they might be, he'd have to think about like, in the, in the off chance that someone does counter me, how would yeah. they do it? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And- you see that point blank in like the beginning of Shibuya, right? He's like, "Oh, you guys can touch me now. Nice. I'll just, I'll just amplify my base stats and beat you up the the regular way." And it's right. like, it's just, it's such a simple strategy. But he just, I, I feel like most overpowered characters would be like, "Oh my god, you just like, you just broke my 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 insanely broken ability. How am I supposed to counter?" Go just is like, I mean. I'm yeah. still me, right? I'm still gonna, I'm yeah. still gonna fight you in seven different other ways. I have yeah. even I, with yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm, still Gojo. I'm still yeah. the strongest. I didn't even think that he amplified his stat because I remember the domain amplification um, exposition kind of explaining it as, and it's been a long time since I've read Shibuya Incident, so forgive me if I'm just yeah. like completely way off base here. But I remember domain amplification being like a skin thick version of like your domain so you're channeling the same kind of energy that you would for a domain but you're only letting it travel as far as like a centimeter off of your skin instead of you know and a whole bubble going into a full domain and because you're creating a pseudo domain in that way it allows that aura that's coding you to nullify the curse techniques of those you come in contact with so because they're using domain amplification to get through his limitless they're not, they don't have access to their curse techniques. So then Gojo goes, all right, I'm going to turn Limitless off then. And then he turned Limitless off. And then Hanami was like, oh, there's no more Limitless? Well, here's my curse technique. <laughs> and then Gojo was like, you blew it, bitch. And then fucking evaporated him. So I didn't, I didn't remember it as him increasing his stats to get through the domain amplification. I remember him baiting the curse technique by turning his Limitless off in response to domain amplification. Mm. yeah no that is how it goes down i think i'm remembering where he has this little like he's talking he's he's kind of like taunting jogo and hanami and he's like if you guys i'm maybe i'm let me let me see he's like if you guys turn off domain application i'll just increase my uh i'll just increase the potency of my technique right hanami's like okay well you don't have it on now attacks and Uh, then gojo kind of just bullies him for that so he tried to take advantage of the moment after gojo said that thinking that he was telling the truth and Mm -hmm. then turned his curse technique back on. And then in response, he kind of like, you would think that that you would think that Hanami wouldn't fall for that trick a second time because they totally just believed everything that fucking Toto said to them about their curse technique. And then, you know, fucking got folded for it. You know what I mean? So you'd think that Hanami would stop taking things that his enemy says at face value. Yeah. Yeah. It's also Gojo. Like, I, I would imagine as an enemy, like, why would he have to lie? Like, yeah, there's, straight there's up. No, there's no, like, there's almost no strategical advantage to lie, at least from Hanami's perspective. Right, and then, right. you know, all sorcerers are con artists, so it doesn't hey, matter. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. going to get that advantage either way. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Dude, Jujutsu Kaisen just gives you so much to talk about. And especially because that we just went into, like, a tangent about, like, prior fights and the way that they worked mm-hmm. mechanically before this. It just goes like more into like how consistent the storytelling has been around the power system to the to the point where we can go to previous fights and grab information to help us with our understanding of the current one. You know what I mean? And that's just like so cool that Gege is that consistent about power in their series. Oh yeah. man. 
I really like on page 16 when Megumi is going for the slash and then pivots his own body to like kind of like have the sword behind him and like whip around. Yeah. And it seems familiar to me. I don't know why. I wonder if people like I'm probably going to see a parallel somewhere on Twitter. They're like, oh, yeah, his stance reminds me of like Toji or um, or oh, Maki sure. yeah. or something like that. And I'm like, OK, yeah, he's picking up things from other people and like um, really being his like father's son. Yeah, yeah, because you can definitely he... feel more Toji inside of Megumi and Maki as the storytelling continues, for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And his I, fighting I just... style in this in this page that you just brought up, now that you, like, focused on it on 16, his fighting style reminds me a lot of, like, wuxia, Chinese, mm -hmm. you know, almost fencing swordsmanship, right? Because it, it does feel like the movements are very fluid. Like, you go over into Japan and into, like, samurai, you know, batojutsu, kenjutsu, iaido, etc. All of the movements are very strict and they're very, you know, segment-oriented. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? From top to bottom, make sure it's strong, step into it. From left to right, you know, you can follow the line work and it's all yeah. very linear and straight. But then you go over into China and their, you know, fighting styles are a lot more fluid, you know, in, in direct contrast to it's Japanese swordsmanship. It's about rotation. It's about momentum. It's about weight. It's about positioning. And it's about weight distribution. Everything in martial arts is about weight distribution. But still, inside of this particular exchange on 16, it feels like Megumi is doing a more Chinese style of mm -hmm. swordsmanship because he sees the Reggie hand coming in. He fucking meets it with the sword to stop the momentum and then like overpowers the weight by bringing his like wrist down to like, you know, bring Reggie's arm down. And then he fucking pivots on his back foot and then swings the fucking sword behind him and upward to try He's to get a slash a from his blind spot. Yeah. 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 He's going no, for a stab because you see the part where like he nicks Reggie's face. Yeah. But it wasn't a stab. It was like an upward slash from behind his mm. back. Like you can follow the 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 motion and yeah. like you know the fucking follow through line in the illustration. And he literally just like bent his arm down and then whipped around and tried to give him the uppercut slash from behind the back. And that's just like so that just screams wuxia to me. Love it, yeah. especially with like the ring on the handle right built into it and i was just like yeah they'll do that thing where they hook their thumb into it and just like whip it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um and it, it feels like um megumi is using sort of like centrifugal force to kind of make up for his lack of like brute force ability mm -hmm. um because he isn't maki right yeah. like his his weapon is his brain and when you it's lack that kind of brute power you need to use your enemy's momentum and weight against them in close quarters. And he knows mm -hmm. that. And that's some kind of like between the lines consideration. It's like some between the lines shit that Gege had considered. I know when, 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 you know, crafting this or composing this, this chapter and its choreography and whatnot, because Gege is just like that in their world. You know what I mean? And that's Insanely something well storyboarded. Yeah. I, I always enjoy, I always enjoy when the fights are reflective of the characters like mental state or just who they are but yes. gege does it really well um and and you can any major fight 
in the series you can look at like how they're fighting um you can you can glean their mental state you can glean what type of person they are you can yes. glean a lot of things you remove the dialogue from like <laughs> from a bunch of fights in the series you'd be like oh this character is typically very sure of themselves this yes. character is this this character is that you can feel and so think... much of their personality in just exactly. the illustration yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and i think it's very appropriate that somebody like megami who has liquid shadows as his kind of ability being fluid with his motions and never really <sighs> ever taking the time to stop uh and let his opponents almost it seems he's never letting his opponents take a second to stop and think the way he's stopping and thinking yes it's, it's very I think it's very appropriate. And the one the one time he does get like quote unquote caught off guard where he's like he's forced to stop, Divine Dog is in the back pocket and it's been yes. waiting for this moment. Um, That's what makes Megumi such an interesting fighter, just to dovetail off of what you were saying about how he uses his techniques to apply pressure on the enemy to not give them a moment to think the way that he does. But it just fits so beautifully into his fighting style because you use the Shikigami to apply that pressure while you sit in the background and think. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You can have, you know, rabbit escape going while the frogs are going, while New Way is smacking you in the back of the head, and you're formulating the next three, four, five steps of the plan. You know what I mean? And the yeah. enemy just doesn't get to do that because they have to deal with totality, and they have to deal with New Way, and they have to deal with the frogs in tandem, back to back to back mm -hmm. to back. It's just such a, uh, it's such a fire fighting style you know what i yeah, mean like yeah, it is yeah. just so versatile and it allows megumi to just cook you know what i mean in the yeah. background to develop these strategies that we love to see and it's just <clears throat> yeah just master class i mean I'm not... even 12 and 13 he's like yeah i'm not gonna win on a straight fist fight i'm gonna try to choke you out while you're underwater just like i'm gonna ruthless. seal your abilities i'm gonna seal your abilities i'm gonna seal your oxygen you can't like being underwater physically hinders you so you won't be able to peel me off you have to undo your contractual educate like ability just to get out of it initially and even then you'll be at a disadvantage and it's just like man that's layers yeah man like it's levels and, to uh, this shit. And, yeah. and it works it works again too because he needs because after you use a domain expansion, your technique is temporarily neutralized. So he, right. him going for this close quarters combat, like choking him out thing acts as like, hey, if I can get him while he's in the water, I got him. But right. if not, I'm giving myself the time to let my technique regenerate. And now we can fight. And now I can have, you know, divine dog in the back. Well, you're thinking I'm going to send any other Shikigami out. You know, you think, I don't know, whatever. Body I just have with a rabbit. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. So you can't. That's right. I had completely forgotten about that aspect of domain expansion. Is that you don't have access to your technique shortly after you dispel it. So I was thinking that cone totality was just always cooking outside the 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 domain, like just shit. Well, I guess not outside the domain because it's not a bubble. But like I thought it was just like off to the side thinking reggie thinking that he had defeated it by throwing knives at it and then megumi just gave it the command to play dead in the background or something but i also thought that it was just outside of the situation like cone was still active as he originally expanded and then after you know the domain collapses cone is still just there just by default yeah. because like he was just grandfathered in to the situation and he didn't uh... need to reconjure it you know what I, but that doesn't make sense though because after the domain dispels you just don't have access to your curse technique so Con, cone would have yeah. had to have been 
dispelled so, at that time, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I think Megami gives him the impression early on in the fight that he took Divine Dog back into the shadows to let it like recuperate from getting stabbed. Oh. I'm pretty sure. Because otherwise, why would I, Reggie yeah. think that he's yeah. not going to summon Cone? Like, what's the because, logic yeah. behind that? He thought he he thought he he thought he had killed it. Killed or yeah, he thought he oh sure. Yeah. And it's also his strongest Shikigami, so why wouldn't he bring it out? If he didn't kill it, why wouldn't he bring it out all this time through all of this, like, pretty, you know, life-threatening conflict, right? I would personally think, hey, he hasn't brought out his strongest Shikigami when he's about to die several times. You probably don't fight, got it. Just, yeah. yeah. He just doesn't have it right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's, like, time after time, he's just like, you would, it's funny because you would think that a domain expansion is the last thing somebody has, right? That That's yes. it. But Megami's just like, yeah, nah. <laughs> Not really. Um, yeah. I've already had to battle post-domain with my technique, yeah. like, once already. So it's like, yeah. Because he had to he had to have that exchange with Toji right after Dagon. And he, yeah, he, that he was using Rabbit Escape and the frogs during that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is actually kind of an interesting tidbit. Maybe that did uh, kind of skew him to think, okay... D domains are 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 good and all but they're not always going to end the fight so what what's my post-domain strategy looking like just in case and like a, an enemy like toji is like mm -hmm. the perfect like litmus test for yeah. how capable you are post-domain with your technique so at coming out of the fucking toji exchange after dagon probably gave him all the information that he needed to formulate a post-domain strategy it's like well if i was effective against fucking toji or maybe yeah. not Toji as far as, like, our understanding of Toji. Because I don't think that Megumi, like, had the same, like, level of understanding of who he was fighting as we did at the time. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? But just, like, in general, like, if my techniques can can keep me alive after a domain against an opponent like this, then yeah. I have do post-domain strategies moving forward just in general. He, yeah, yeah. he didn't know who Toji was, but right. he was, like, yeah, this is three-fingered Sukuna level. Yeah. This guy just, like, just eviscerated dagon like i you know i'm i can't say he's uh, you know he may not know he may not be able to put full respect on toji's name but he definitely did understand after getting grabbed out of the building he's like oh oh so he's real like yeah this, this is, is so yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is this is not an average guy like i cannot yeah, <laughs> yeah no nah. yeah as soon as, as soon as he got yanked out of the building there he did have like a little bit of internal monologue i believe like yeah. yo wait a minute i'm all the way over here right <laughs> now and i don't feel happened? no cursed energy coming from this dude oh no he's and a he problem <laughs> oh no uh, he's worse than maki i don't like this <laughs> yeah straight up <laughs> Maki beats yeah, the no. crap out no, of him. No, he watched him. He watched him yank Yu Un out of Maki's hand inside of the Dude, domain. So yeah. he already knew that this motherfucker was serious. Yeah. And somebody no, did I, literally say like he's an upgraded version of Maki. I believe that was yeah. me, possibly. Yeah. He yeah. he was like he's like, uh, he's Maki but fully realized. So yeah, he, that's yeah, what he said. Like yes. how dangerous uh, this character was. Because yeah. oh, <laughs> And yeah, now Cloud is an amplifier. Yeah, so and like it's already like Maki multiplied through Playful Cloud, and Toji's just like nah, yoink. Yep, let's let <laughs> the Maki multiplier up. Now yeah. multiplied. Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> and he did yoink that shit too. Yeah, he fucking lifted her off her fucking feet, grabbing <laughs> that shit out of her. I think he like picked her up Shake and her set off. her back down at a different yeah. point, and then snatched that shit out of her hands. Yeah, so it was like, like I lost in a I lost in a strength battle. Like yeah, pretty badly too. Like yeah. he didn't. 
yeah. He didn't, just like just like taking a toy away from a kid. He was like, "I'll take that. Thanks. Now time to go beat up this curse." Pretty that y'all, that it took four of y'all to, to fucking lose to, to like lose y'all weren't to. even winning. And he said, "Give me my shit back." Fuck yeah. is he talking about? Fuck. Oh, man, dude, that shit when he said. Oh man, yeah, Reggie's messed up though. He's missing yeah. like a good chunk of his collarbone. Yeah, and when he fucking no in the bottom left panel of page eighteen, his shit is like hanging. Like, yeah, he, bro, like, his done yeah. For. You can really see the damage at the bottom left of eighteen because, like, mm -hmm. honestly, like it's drastic at the top of eighteen too. But like, you can't really feel the depth of damage until that fucking panel with cone pitch black yeah. next to him like you can see his shit is cleaved open you know what Dude, i mean yeah. like his shit is definitely hanging and then obviously all of the fucking blood hemorrhaging in the last panel lets you know that he's pretty much done with all of his living yeah. which is fire because it's like man i feel like this aspect of like utilitarian stances in main protagonists is kind of missing or has been missing in shonen shonen storytelling loves to give you at least inside of the main squad a very altruistic kind of outlook and don't kill yeah don't yeah, kill you know what i mean if you can see the good in someone you know what i mean like don't huh. let them die like boom boom bat you know what i mean we see that all the time but in a story like jujutsu kaisen it just doesn't work and gege is very cognizant of that fact and and has written the story around utilitarian outlooks which i yeah. feel like is just so fresh inside of shonen storytelling i and love megumi's sort of like selfish uh amorality yeah. Yeah, it's just like it, it fits so well because like I think that he is effectively the poster child of what what does jujutsu society offer? Yeah. Right? He's like what kind of people does this society produce? What kind of citizens do they produce? And it's just like dudes like him or Maymay or like all these other like fair or like the principal, right? Yeah. Fairly corrupt people who are just like well talk about the kyoto principle gaku ganji yeah yeah, yeah, yeah gaku ganji yeah exactly or it's just like yaga was I can, best boy you so can't I lump will. him in that dude yeah. <laughs> yaga yaga was an anomaly he had yeah, yeah and exactly those are not like yuji is weird he's yeah. weird as a sorcerer like he's not what you would expect right right um it's kind of i i like you said the amorality aspect of megami and i think I've, I've noticed that all strong characters in this series, barring like Yuji, all these super strong top tiers have a very similar, I do what I do because it, it, there's no like, there's no, I mean, there is sometimes a, a higher calling in the sense that this is their motivation, but they don't try to justify it with anybody. Like, yeah. Megami's like, yeah, this is what I think is the case. I genuinely don't care if in the, like, objectively this is right. I'm going to, I'm going to act as if it is. And if you're going to, you're going to be stand in the way catch his hands right right yeah. um it's, i just think uh, most go, my, my fault just real quick um i just think that like in general these high level characters tend to uh to do that yeah absolutely it's um it's like his classic line he's like i'll save who i want to save i don't care if it's fair i'm not a hero i'm a jujutsu sorcerer yes. you can perfectly inverse that and say i'll kill who i want to kill mm -hmm. i don't care if it's fair yeah 
I'm, I'm a curse sorcerer, not a hero. Oh, oh, yeah. sure. I mean, even can, yeah, you can, yeah. You can literally inverse. I was that thinking thing, of Mahito like, when you said that, and that's why I like tried to finish your sentence by saying oh, curse. Oh no, no. Of I was just thinking about sorcerer. Megumi and whole, yeah, yeah. as a whole because like this is such a centric thing for him, and I was like, yeah, no, this makes sense. But like, that was Mahito's stance, though. At the end yeah, of Shibuya, he was like, it's "Look, just man, nature. I justified the reason I do my things the way you justify the way you do you do your things. What makes us different?" your idea yeah. of like how evil it is to kill a living thing i don't fucking share that and never had so like is that really mm -hmm. the deciding factor who gets to decide that you you know what yeah. i mean and it was just and such why, a right? yeah and, and why and besides yeah. that society you know yeah like... and it's like it's it's very interesting because they literally are just man you i could i could get oh we could have a whole hour discussion on why Mahito and Yuji is just a great dynamic but like right. mm -hmm. i think that um yuji just because most protagonists would be like oh i have this this moral reason as to why i'm right but Yuji's just like you know what you were spitting my they're like you're right like you know you kill humans the same way i kill curses right yes. and i save people because that's what i think is right so this battle is not for like a moral like you know who is right it's about whose truth is going to live on exactly. and whoever stronger is my truth is going to live on because i'm stronger than you the winners right, right history Mm -hmm. exactly exactly it's like you know i'm right because i'm the only one that gets to talk about our morality past this point you're not right yeah, you're not exactly. here and it's just and i i love that the fact that like it kind of takes this your typical uh like shonen uh how, how the fight will go take like pain versus naruto or something where naruto wins the ideological battle as well right he proves yes. pain wrong yuji's not into that he's like you know what i can't right i don't have a reason as to why you're wrong I'm just going to beat you up and I'm going to be right from this point forward. And exactly. I, I really like that. And I think Megami shares that and he has shared that for a long time. He's understood. It, I mean, these moral debates are irrelevant when one, you know, if I win, if I beat you, then all things considered, I'm the one who's correct. Right. And yeah. it's, it's not a matter of good and evil. It's just clashing philosophies you know what i mean like people who had their own goals and their own outlooks and their own ideas of what they wanted to accomplish that just so happened to come in contact with each other and when they did obviously you have to duke it out because i want to continue you know to flesh out my ideology and leave my stamp on the world in the way that i think i need to and you are doing the same thing but it's not a good versus evil kind of thing because everyone kind of sucks here if you really want to go back into the fucking history books and go through all of the things that these characters have done and said there's going to be times where you either agree or you disagree but that's what makes the story so cool is that mm -hmm. the, the characters are so nuanced you know what i mean you have ideological clashes happening over here with such a moral ambiguity blanket over all of it where everything feels so blurred and that's another thing that i love about jujutsu kaisen is that it doesn't give you that sense of this is how you should feel about this situation exactly it's up to interpretation based on whether or not you resonate with these philosophies you know what i mean and a lot of the times the winner comes out on top and it is a protagonist, but do they always feel accomplished afterwards? Like, no, they probably had to do something that was really hard on them psychologically during the fight that leaves them feeling dirty even after they win. You know what I Yuji's mean? Yuji's a great example of that. Yeah. Every, like, he fights just SO versus Ketchizu. He's like, dude, I won, but, like, that's not that's yeah. that's not what I want to do. And and one thing really quickly to harp on the Mahito and Yuji thing, yeah. I think... I don't know if I want to say Gege was planning the I am you scene since like their first conflict because I don't like 
pretending that these mangas are like all new. Sometimes it just they happen to really align these things. But yeah. either way, I think it's very fitting that we do get a moment with Yuji in like chapter twenty seven where it's this inner monologue where he says something to the effect of like the words that came out of my mouth next were like the most true things I'd ever said in my life. And that's when he says, I'm going to kill you to Mahito. Yeah. And that sort of implies that at, at the end of the day, you can put on airs of, of morality. You're a good person. You're a bad person. But Yuji, at least at his core, wanted to kill the thing that messed up his way of living and what he thought was good. The same yes. way Mahito does. There was no, at the, at the core of the issue, there was no moral reason. It was, you've harmed me so i'm going to eliminate you so you can't do it anymore um yes. and i just find that really interesting and i think yuji coming to terms with it consciously in shibuya and this being a, a concurrent theme of like what jujutsu sorcerers are of this like i mean and it makes sense if cursed energy is a power system based off negative emotions it would be a little strange if there are these like nice uh super like, altruistic yeah. super wholesome like we're gonna it's okay everything is gonna be fine all the time kind of characters yeah those guys got weeded out early okay all that's yeah. left is the, yeah. the gross roaches left okay yes. Yes. The nasty look at like ones. a miwa look at like a miwa she's super nice what is she a a, a grade three sorcerer or something yeah. <laughs> like she's kind it, of a it, scrub she's cool yeah. i like miwa but she's just not strong and it's you can tell why yuta for example has as far as we know the mer the most cursed energy in the verse at least it's kind of implied that he just has this absurd amount right. and guess what from very early on he's clearly like just has negative uh emotions of himself and yeah, hates himself he, he hates himself right he needs his friends to reaffirm his existence and in like volume zero he's like i, I, I noticed this because i was doing a reread recently and he, he gets <coughs> mad at get at, at ghetto pulling up not when he says i'm going to kill every non-sorcerer he gets mad when he says i'm going to or he when he makes fun of maki essentially and i'm like right. that's really twisted that's really that's yeah. a really twisted thing because this man just said before you i'm going to commit mass genocide and yeah. you didn't bat an eye yes but when he said maki is basically worthless you were like oh so we're about to fight then like right. we gotta we gotta see each other like yeah and I just find that very interesting because that's a very twisted thing to to think. And it just and it's just played so straight. Like it, most manga, I think if that were to happen, you would get a lot of like, oh, my God, this was such a dark thought. But it's just played as this is how it is. This because is it. Gege did such a good job of creating a world that that kind of shit makes sense in. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like right away, you can feel the vibe. And this is going back into what you know, Mello was saying a couple moments ago about how all the people that have that, like, Shiki Eden Zero, Asta Black Clover kind of outlook and mentality have all been weeded out. That kind of thinking doesn't get you very far in the Jujutsu world. You can't just shonen protagonist and will your way out of all of these situations with your altruistic outlooks. You know what I mean? It's almost like a kind of, um, you know, Darwinism that separates people by their emotional intelligence you know what i mean and their and and their and and how much of a realist you are if you are a utilitarian and you understand that the needs of the of the many outweigh the needs of the few and you can't save everyone you're probably going to make it a lot farther than the asta and shiki types that want everyone to live that want to save everyone those people you know got their blind spot taken advantage of while they were having yeah. their altruistic monologue internally and got fucking stabbed through the fucking back or some shit because they were mm -hmm. they were trying too hard to be a shiki 
You know what I mean? Yeah. And I just love that inside of, of Jujutsu Kaisen that we have that kind of vibe oh. in a story. And it doesn't matter what kind of fucking chapter that you have. No matter what chapter of Jujutsu Kaisen comes out, you're guaranteed to, you know, respect it for either how philosophical it is, how scientific it is. It can be all of these things at once while also being very hype and action driven. Some people that you can root for in combat, like, oh my God, this choreography is going crazy. But no matter what kind of chapter it is, at the end of the day, it's thought provoking. You, you come away from Jujutsu Kaisen chapters thinking very deeply about morality and other things you know what i mean it gives you so much more i feel like than a lot of other shonen can offer and and yeah. it gives it in a, a quick it, it's like a lot of other series that do things like this take so long to do it it's a lot of uh to me some sometimes right it can come off as very preachy as like this is simply the way the world works and this is why and rather than showing us that this is the way it works we're then told that it's that it's the way that it works. Whereas I feel like Jujutsu Kaisen kind of briefly tells you, yeah, assert your own truth as the truth or die. And then it shows you what happens when you don't. It shows you the types of characters that do just think they are right and then move in the world as such. And I think it, it does it in, in a way that like it's very thought provoking if you're willing to to look into it. But it's also um I think always hype enough and interesting enough to where if you're just trying to read a cool manga with cool fight scenes, it's got that for you too. And that's something I think a lot of manga, sometimes they kind of trade off. It's an either or. It's a you get a thought-provoking or you get hype. To me, yeah. I feel like Jujutsu Kaisen able to do it seamlessly yes. in, in both, right? Yes. I, I'm just very impressed by that. It, it, Gege has achieved like a perfect balance of all of these concepts and themes. And it's really impressive to see that. The effort's definitely yeah. paid off. Yeah. Sure. So I have a question for you guys about yeah. the kind of the ending of this chapter. So first first part is do you think Reggie's like officially dead? Like he's gone, or do you think it's we may get like Megami communicating with him, seeing things about that, or do you think this is kind of like the conclusion to their 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 um, little mini arc? I think he's dead as fuck, but we might get a scene of his final words like as he's bleeding out to Megumi. I could totally see that. But I at the but before but you I said anything, I totally thought he was just dead as hell. Yeah, and it, it, okay. it was just it, yeah. I, I think <clears throat> I think he's gonna oh. have his um final words. Like yeah. okay. especially because like it's it's kind of a co core theme of the series. Um I think Reggie has earned at least a point of like like saying his things like sorcerers are all con artists and he might try to say something in the end like expressing his own personal regrets because that's you like even when when people die they still want to share something like Nanami when he was dying he's like Yuji don't be like me like yeah like whether that was being a cold-blooded sorcerer or a sorcerer with too much heart we're not entirely sure but like um, I kind of want to see Reggie possibly try to say something as his last words, and then Megumi just cold-blooded interrupting him and killing him. Oh, so that it doesn't create, like, a fucking second-hand like, post-mortem yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 no, yeah. None of that, sir. Like, yeah. like sorry, yeah. I want to hear you out because I respect you after our confrontation, but I can't have you haunting yeah. me. Rah! Yeah. Yeah. That would be like, so wild. That would be raw! That's my prediction. Oh, yeah, I'd be because so like Agumi care for people like he doesn't he doesn't really yeah he, yeah, he borrows like, yeah. his sister's morality mostly yeah, yeah, yeah he's yeah. like damn you really just try to kill me for like 
a while, so I don't know why I'm gonna hear out your final words. Bye. Type um, shit. Type shit. Yeah. yeah. You can either get so, like compassionate Megumi or like ruthless, cold blooded Megumi, and it and it fits in both circumstances whenever it's used, and I love that. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah, because you can definitely say that I think like Megumi's been nice to people that aren't necessarily would deem good. Like Remy, uh, for example, I thought. I didn't necessarily think he was going to kill her outright, but I think it'd be completely justified for him to be like, bye, like, just use Divine yeah. Dog, take her out real quick. But he didn't. He was more, like, viscerally disgusted at who she was right. at her mm -hmm. core, rather than, like, deciding to take her out. Um, so you can get either one. He was disgusted with, like, her moral weakness. He's like, oh, you're clinging yeah. on to the words of people that are obviously lying to you just because you need it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That shit's weak. Yeah. Um, if I see you again, I'm killing you. Like... Yeah. <laughs> This is my only mercy to you. Like that's it. Eagle, what do you think? Uh, yeah. What do you what do you think that for your answer to Ronan's question? Uh, I was saying I think he's probably I think he's dead based on the stagger splat and the, just the raw damage you see on the bottom of eighteen. <laughs> he's already meat at this like, point. Yeah, he was waiting until I completely dismissed the dog. The yeah. sorcerer. Nothing but a con artist. Uh, falls on yeah, him. and yeah. it's like, dude, the damage looks like it's like heart level. You know what yeah. I mean? At the bottom of 18. He's so he might not have anything to say, like, physically. Yeah, this kind of <laughs> injury is like you bleed out in like 10 seconds. Yeah. 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 Not even. Because, so, I mean, you can get like, if you just slice your aorta. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You bleed out in like seven more seconds. Than this is instant death levels of damage, I just want to yeah. say yeah. also. The fact yeah. that he was able to say sorcerers are nothing but con artists is incredible to me. Yeah, it's like, already impressive. Yeah. <laughs> my my so, prediction relies on manga logic. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I mean, yeah, we definitely, you know, Luffy gets his chest blown out and fucking survives, you know, like, we've oh, seen yeah. this ain't that kind of story. This ain't that kind of manga, though, <laughs> yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah, what were you going to, what were no, you trying I mean, to say, though, Ronan? You were, you were trying to get in there again? No, no, I was just going to say the second part to the question is, now that Megumi's little, like, conflict with Reggie is concluded, what do you think, or who do you think we're focusing on next? Because I think that's a pretty interesting discussion, because yeah. we have quite a few characters that I'm very interested in seeing. I'm interested in seeing, uh, I think it's Kashimo. Yeah, the, the, the angel lightning. one, right? That's yeah. um, that's literally that, just that angel, Kashima? actually. Angel Kurosu, yeah. I think, is the yeah. is the name. Ka yeah, yeah. Kashimo is the, the one, one that blew that motherfucker's Ooh, yeah. chest in, and then you got yeah. the panel of her looking through it. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's got yeah, like the little big graph rod kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, yeah. I think Hakari um, said he's he's going to fight him. So right. I'm interested in that. I also want to see Yuta again, to be honest. I, there's just a lot of different options, I feel like. I think that since we've spent so much time on Megumi and Yuji, that we'll be going into storytelling revolving around people not included in the main cast at all. Like, I think that mm -hmm. we'll just switch perspectives to, you know, other culling game members that we have gotten a name card for, but that just aren't a part of the main protagonist team, just to kind of flesh out the world outside the window of yeah. our of our of our main team i think that would be really cool to just see like unrelated to main protagonist conflicts inside of the colony i think that that would yeah. be tight to get a chapter or two of like maybe characters that you know are going to be you know a little bit more relevant later on but just not necessarily entangled with the main cast yet i yeah i think that like panda and hikari are probably up next if we're focusing on the team Otherwise, I think we might zoom out and go to Kenjaku. Ooh, yeah, yeah, that'd be tight. That'd be tight. 
because no just idea been scheming just chilling Dude, cooking in the he, background this is, like this has been like all <laughs> like dancing in the palm of his hand yeah. because he's talking to like the chinese ambassadors and stuff and he's like yeah let's ready some nukes let's go like what <laughs> yeah that's insane yeah. where do you where, where did you say where you thought it was going ronan so I don't necessarily have a place where I think it's going. Yeah. My little, I'm just interested in seeing Yuta because so far we've seen like close battles. We've seen battles of like, you know, Megami and Reggie were fairly even throughout their fight. Yuji was actually on the back foot against Higuruma. I want to see like how Gigi like shows us just a one-sided, just kind of like stomp in, yeah. in any direction, right? Because obviously yeah. we've seen that with characters like Toji. We see it with Gojo. I really want to see what Yuta looks like just bullying a character. Yes, yes. Instead of, like, trying to not kill Yuji. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. like, with Yuji, it's like he's he was obviously dominant, but it's like he can't do too much damage to him. Reverse curse technique is only so potent, so he's kind of like, okay, let me Gotta let me precise. stab you. Yeah, let me yeah. stab you and make sure I'm not, like, just ripping you apart, right? I had, he had Rika hold him nice and, like, still, just making sure he doesn't... I'm yeah. trying to see what a yuta that's just like you know i gotta rack up points somehow yeah just evaporating other like. players yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Ooh, that would be so sick let's like go if we do switch to yuta that's what we're gonna see like people trying to sneak it <laughs> he's gonna come in there people try to sneak attack him he's like mwah, mwah, mwah. okay yeah. that's 30 <laughs> points real quick let's go <laughs> No, he, seriously, he's going to be running through the streets, like, KOing yeah. people, and there's going to be, like, someone who's, like, drawing a beat on him, and then Rika just grabs their head from behind, just... Pops their shit. Yeah, no, you want to know what, Ronan? I 100% agree with you. I think that that is the next thing. Maybe not the next thing we have to see, but the next Yuta-related storytelling has got to be him showing the readers Alexa. why he was compared to Gojo in the first place. Not yeah. just in the sense of him beating Yuji, because Yuji lacks the experience for that to really be super significant, despite his strength that we've seen so far but like just you to going out there and just not holding back in any regard and literally just deleting people i think is yeah. like going to be really important to for his character in the main story mm -hmm. yeah. yeah imagine a line where like rika like crushes somebody's like can you not get blood on me or something like he's just like because yeah. obviously he talks to rika like rika seems to have some some sentience in this right. as well so it'd be wild if he's just like, yeah, don't make such a mess or something like that. Yeah. Like, oh man, that'd be so crazy. <laughs> I would oh, love man. it. I need to see it now. <laughs> that'd be so yeah, dope. Fucking beautiful. Is it next week already? Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's about all I had for JJK though, man. Like what a fucking yeah. amazing chapter to have Ronan here for. And like, we got a chunky ass conversation out of that. Like yeah. beautiful discussion, you guys. Hell yeah. Alrighty. Well, with that, I think we can go ahead and move into chapter 226 of dr stone giant step fuego fuego ass chapter man fuego. this chapter did a good job of um of, ex of, of explaining the Ryusui situation right because i remember last review i was like how do we feel about this Ryusui situation this this kind of i think i was leaning more towards the the idea that it kind of felt ham-fisted you know what I mean? And that it was just like, oh, okay, well, we got to find a way to get him, you know, to go because he wanted to so bad and just felt like it kind of uh, took away from, you know, the storytelling surrounding Ryusui's realization that Stanley had to go instead of him is, is, is basically like what my point was mm -hmm. last review or whatever. But without having an idea of how quickly or, or, or slowly time is moving, 
the pacing in that last chapter just made the situation feel you know so random and like so quick to me yeah. but, but now that we know that significant time had passed in between the circuit board malfunction and Ryusui coming up in the fourth piece you know like I'm loving the addition of Ryusui here now that we have kind of gotten that that explanation it feels so much better now to me than it did before yeah, yeah. I'm really glad that they confirmed my idea that there was like a somewhat significant lapse in time because they were just like, hey, we still haven't sent this up, and... Yeah, I think you did even say that last week, mm -hmm. too. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. They're like, we managed to hear your predicament, so we figured out what piece you needed. We had backups of pretty much everything because, you know, this thing could have blown up. We need to keep building more rockets. Yeah. Um, did anybody like notice it. that... Like uh, oh, sorry, real quick, I just wanted to throw this out here because I'm looking at a panel right now, and I literally just got reminded... But did anybody notice that Senku does not have his markings? Uh, yeah, he doesn't. Shoot, I didn't see that until you said that. I didn't notice. I didn't notice it before either. But we got, I got reminded of that in our Discord, like right after the last episode, and they were like, "I can't believe you didn't notice this," and I was like, "Me neither." You know what I mean? So I was like, wanted to make sure that I brought it up this time because I remember at the, you know, in the Treasure Island arc, I don't remember when exactly but i know it was treasure island um there was like a moment where um they had been petrified again and because a significant amount of time hadn't passed between them being petrified and them being depetrified, that erosion didn't set in to create those markings you know what i mean like that was like a a, a one of the realizations that they huh. had had you know what i mean is because oh you were petrified again but because you were depetrified so quickly you don't have the markings anymore but then they decided that they were going to continue to draw the same markings on them until they defeated y-man as like a you know a morality or a, a morale thing you know what i mean like to keep spirits high until mm -hmm. you know the foe had been vanquished or whatever and it was really cool you know so I think the reason he doesn't have the markings is just because, well, no, because he had the marker to draw the equation on his shirt. So I wonder why he didn't redraw his markings unless they did that with a different thing than a marker before and they just don't have access to whatever that was on this on this spaceship is probably why. Because I'd yeah. like to think because they've been petrified and depetrified like multiple times since Treasure Island. Mm -hmm. you know so i was assuming that he was still drawing his markings on you know in relation to the conversation that they had about keeping them until they had defeated y-man but maybe he just doesn't just isn't able to do that on the spaceship because he doesn't have those materials i think is why mm. they're not there again but anyway uh, i just wanted to throw that out that, there yeah, yeah, yeah now that i think about it uh it looks like gen is missing did Gen ever have markings on his face? I thought he That's did. Right. Yeah. Gen had the smile. Had the evil mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he doesn't I have his that... shit either. Yeah, I think that in Gen, anticipation of them. But he had been he had he had kept drawing it on though. He was like mm -hmm. everybody had just kept drawing theirs on. So I think now that they're like, we are facing Y Man, we've succeeded to get them in space. And I think less of like it's like they're like they're anticipating their team not to fail. So like sure. I think as more of like a morale solidarity thing, they're not adding those marks. Because if they fail, they're gonna get petrified and they're gonna get those marks eventually anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know? They're just like yeah. clean slate, new start. Um I love Ryushi's Harlock outfit. It's just so cool. It's yeah, too cool for dude. school, for real. 
Ever since you pointed that out last review, I'd like have, I I've been thinking about that. Yeah, I even like went and pulled up like the Harlock manga and like shit like that, like from back in the day or whatever. Been looking at Harlock stuff. <laughs> Man, Ronan, what was your favorite part of this chapter? So I actually liked um, Senku's seem. I, okay, so I liked the moment where. Um, we see, like, right before the chapter ends, Senku kind of just dismissal of going to the moon for the first time. I don't know why I found that so funny, of just kind of, like, everyone's, you know, hyping up, you know, we're, we're, we're in space, right? We're about to land on the moon, something a handful of people ever have done. And it's like, yeah, have you thought about what you're going to say when you jump on there? It's like, nah. I just, I just feel like it's such a, that's such an in-character moment. I just yeah, really that's appreciate so it. That's so Senku, because um, it's like, you're the one yeah. that has been wanting to go to them. Like, that was your motivation pre-petrification. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, that was the thing you always wanted to do. And now that you're here, you're being so cool about it. And it's like, of yeah. course you would. Yeah. He's like, I was it's just, more focused on getting there. <laughs> like, yeah. not about exactly. what Exactly. It's, it's it's the challenge of, of doing this. It's not necessarily like actually being there. And it's a small moment in this chapter for sure, but I do definitely just like that kind of very in character uh, moment for him. Hell yeah. He has some really good lines after that. And he's like, that said, compared <laughs> to the landings of the 20th century, our lunar mission's meaningful in a whole different way. With all of humanity on the line, we're taking this first giant step into the battle for future science. So get excited mm -hmm. and i was like ah that that does because he was always talking about like hey let's get motivated let's get excited so like that's been his catchphrase the entire series it's it's, it's i i like that they've worked that in it fits so um, well as the first thing you say when you take a step on the moon like it's just it, the perfect catchphrase <laughs> i like that he blended the neil armstrong thing and he's like we're taking this giant step you know instead of a step and giant leap and all that stuff it's like all right cool yeah. i like that yeah. it's a nice touch Oh yeah, Eagle. How you feel about this chapter? Oh, sorry. I just got caught up looking back at past chapters to try and see how far back. Oh, the uh, markings. The markings. Gotcha, the markings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I went back to like 196 when Suika got them all out of the petrification, mm -hmm. and uh, Senku and Zeno still have their marks. Gen, yeah. Chrome. Everybody else, Chrome oh, sure, probably because it was like seven or to ten years after they were all yes. petrified that long, so it's just weird. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Some people have their markings and some don't. Gen doesn't. Um, who has their oh, wait, you said Senku and and uh and Zeno, Zeno still do, but Gen doesn't. Gen didn't, and it oh. didn't look like Ryusui did. Um, oh, shit. I love yeah, that double spread know. on it's weird. Though. It's weird. I don't yeah. know. I'm fair, pretty sure they gave explicit explanation on why. Yeah, I th yeah. Like Senku was like, "This is why mine are still here." I just can't remember what chapter. If anybody remembers what chapter, yeah. Senku gave the explicit explanation on why he kept his markings and pe other people lost theirs. Yeah. Let us know in the comments. Yeah, and they, and I know the explanation is there because it's like it can't be like I remember it, it can't be like an oops I forgot thing because Ryichiro and Boichi clearly like did it on purpose because some people have them and some don't so since they did it on purpose it doesn't make sense for them to not then follow up with an explanation as to why so exactly yeah. and I know, I know I remember Senku saying like this is why like I just can't yeah. remember when but um as far as this chapter goes um. 
I gotta say, my favorite part of the chapter probably is just like honestly the end. It's just because it's like so Senku centric. Yeah. Not Senku centric because there's like Taiju involved, Chrome's involved, and as far as like kind of the joke. But it's such a Senku moment. It's such a Senku moment. Yeah. And that phrase that just that get excited, man. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I just hear it just his gets voice me in excited. The anime. <laughs> I hear his voice in the anime that mm, yeah. it's so fire. Oh, and I yeah. just think how perfect his voice actor is. It gets me so hyped. I Dude, love Senku. I was watching the anime like recently and like I don't know whose translation it whose translations it is. I think it's Crunchyroll. And it's not get excited. It's fucking like this is exhilarating or some yeah. shit. You like change that. On on some site, maybe it's not Crunchyroll. Maybe it's like one of the illegal sites or whatever. I, I was want to say think, it was. I think you might be right on Crunchyroll. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's not get mm. excited. It's this is exhilarating, and it's like yeah, why why change that? You know what I mean? Like you gotta know that it has to be get excited. Like did none more of more syllables mean more brain cells? Did the translator like not read the manga or something and just get like you know the fucking verbal audio from the main? you know, from the Japanese show mm. and then just literally translate it to like, you know, exhilarating instead of like what it's supposed to be and has been forever. Maybe I don't fucking know, but it's like, you should know. <laughs> Maybe I'm being mean and I don't know what I'm talking about, but still. <laughs> I really dig all the moon facts. Like the idea, like, cause I yeah. didn't think about how the moon is all pocked up and just ravaged on the back end. Um, and I knew it had like craters a... because of asteroids running into mm -hmm. it, but I didn't know the, you know, like I always Scale. knew about like the dark side of the moon, you know what I mean? Like I've always heard that, but I didn't have this just raw information about how we legitimately only see one half of it, like because of its gravitation. It matches situation. our planet's rotation. Right. So mm -hmm. yeah, we literally like it rotates with the planet. And right. It's weird. So, it's yeah, it's you hard. know. Yeah, and that diagram, the little chibi diagram of the, you know, the moon circling and, and spinning and catching all of the asteroids in its back is just like, mm -hmm. I remember just being like, damn, bro, like, they're, this is fucking yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah, in my live reaction, I was like, damn, I never even thought about that. The yeah. moon is, like, taking asteroids in the back, like. <laughs> yeah, it's our shield. That's so it's sick. It's like that meme so where cool. it's just like. Yeah. Oh uh, man, it, I like the language that um they use. The idea, like, because uh, like transitioning from eleven to twelve, where like Ryusuke is calling it a guardian deity, yeah. and it's like, yeah, because like the planets and the moon are typically called celestial bodies. I like that kind of like romantic language that Ryusuke yeah. uses because he is about desire and like the idealistic uh, part of that stuff. Um, it's almost crazy, like planetary evolution like the earth gets hit with an asteroid a huge chunk of it like it obviously devastates the fucking ecosystem or whatever and a huge chunk of it breaks off but then that chunk like forms into the moon and then acts as a shield against future asteroids yeah so and i doubt that there was any like real ecosystem to worry about as far as like living beings are concerned whenever that asteroid hit and broke off the chunk that became the moon that was probably like yeah. long before life you know was even single-celled you know in, on the planet but but yeah i i totally see what you're talking about like that the the timeline of how things that seem so you know every day like it just seems so like obvious natural. you know what i mean yeah, yeah like natural and obvious like of course the moon is there and of course it does these things like all of this scientific explanation for 
the events that are just so epic from start to finish if you were to tell a story about it and it's like there's just such a deep story there for things that have become every day that we don't even think about really and yeah it's like look, watching fucking like science documentaries like fucking like carl sagan's cosmos and like shit that actually give you the history on like a play-by-play mm-hmm. you know kind of way just does wonders for your appreciation of nature you know what i mean and just like studying on this kind of stuff in general is just whatever like happened my favorite things. to the yeah. whatever happened to the david attenborough documentaries that used to be on netflix the planet earth one and two and the ocean oh uh, yeah i don't know but hmm. those are all gas too man They're like on now. fuck like netflix bro <laughs> Uh, I think that they probably only got the rights to them for a temporary amount of time because a lot of stuff cycles through. The best one so, they had was Inexplicable Universe with Neil deGrasse Tyson. It wasn't like a planet Earth or a Cosmos style, you know, uh, thing with a bunch of editing and like really cool visuals and like a script. It was more of like a lecture style, like off the cuff, Neil deGrasse Tyson just talking about amazing scientific concepts in regard to like space and its expansion for like eight episodes like went into like unsolved mysteries of the universe and like all of this crazy shit and literally just like a sitting down and having a conversation with him style of show and they took that off netflix too and it's like fuck you <laughs> did you ever watch the one I'm, i don't want to like dwell on this yeah yeah, like yeah, yeah 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 but did you ever watch the david attenborough for the audience too the one called our planet i think it was yeah i did peep that yep yep that I all of those. really tight one it was yeah. like a fucking autobiography style documentary about not only nature but like his life and it was kind of juxtaposed in a way where he was like when i started out doing this shit like these were the numbers and he like basically goes for a play-by-play and like brings you through the years and like gives you statistics on how much nature and wilderness has been reduced and it's like so fucking sad yeah man by the end of it he's like he's just basically shaming us the whole time he's like yeah we gotta fix this shit because we We fucking suck we deserve it david attenborough is the one i want to tell me He was literally like, yo, I can't remember, I think it was maybe Borneo, I don't want to, I don't want to name a country specifically, but in some country where they, like, um, farm palm oil, I think it was, it was like the, he was like the whole, maybe it was Bolivia, I think, the whole fucking country used to be covered in a jungle virtually. Now, the only jungle on the entire fucking island, um is literally a one mile fucking strip. No. And the rest is covered by fucking palm oil farms. Just rows of the same fucking tree. Fucking suck. Um, And it was just like, damn. Human greed, man. That's another reason why a story like Dr. Stone is so important because not only does it like, you know, work as a doorway to this subject matter in general on like a highly researched and like analytical level for some people, but also, it's just does wonders, I want to assume, for people's appreciation of the planet. Because you're literally mm-hmm. watching, you know, a fictional, mind you, but still gradual and organic progression from Stone Age to modern society. You know what I mean? You see how important corn is. You see how important, you know, all of these things that you never think about in their application and their contribution to our way of life today 
yeah. and you go like oh my god we blow this up for parking <clears throat> lots like we destroyed this yeah. for super malls you why man I mean? was right yeah like we yeah and it's like holy fuck man yeah why, why man, man was right, right. Man. But getting back into the chapter, man, oh my god, these moon panels are gas. I just have to say, I don't know how much of it is, like, like a lot of these, you never know how much is going to be a photograph whenever it comes to, Mm -hmm. you know, manga artists that are, yeah, like, because it's like when, when you have a manga, a manga artist like Boichi that leans into photorealism just like naturally, like even in his like penciled things. You know what I mean? It's always going to be tough, and that's the reason why they do it. I, I've seen, you know, documentaries where Inio Asano says, I want the reader to ask themselves, is this a picture or was this illustrated? You know what I mean? So, like, that's never been a problem to me, and I'm not trying to, like, act like it is. But the reason why I'm saying that is because I'm fascinated by the fact that I can't tell if it's a picture or if it's an illustration in these and new like shots like that, that Boichi uses. Yeah, like, they're so fucking fire, bro. I, I mean, I think that. there's some that are cl- pretty clearly illustrations, pretty clearly images, some that are kind of mixes between the two. It's like this one on 14, the like left side panel on 14. Yeah. Like, how can that be a photograph? <laughs> Obviously not. It's like so mm-hmm. close up. It's so, but it is so photorealistic at the same it time is. besides, the, really nice, besides yeah. the landing pod. Yeah. I you know. really enjoy the like scientific realism where they're talking about like, Hey, you know, they're going at 38,000 kilometers per hour. And uh, here's the sextant and how we're using that to, like, figure out where our position is based on the stars. Because those don't move and they're far enough away that we can actually, like, position ourselves even though we're that far away from the Earth and this close to the moon. And I liked the, like, visual curve on page 17 of, like, watching the spaceship just, like shoot out jets in different directions as it yep. kind of like writes Which I believe itself is, uh, yeah, scientifically it accurate you know yeah, yeah that's i mean they, that's the actual landing technique they use kind of like soften yeah. and then whoop, soften like, and propel yeah. because zeno obviously is a fucking nasa you know engineer rocket scientist so yep. yeah. hey you know i love the consultants but, you know shout out to those guys shout out, Kudare. Gals. Kudare yeah, shout out to all of them you know, bring in the facts. Yeah. Love oh, it. Yeah. Making this shit feel so real while yeah. so fictional. And the, the coding consultant that was brought in specifically for Psy. Yeah. Psy <laughs> as a character just has their own consultant. <laughs> Straight yeah. up. I like that they're like, hey, you know, Ruiz is up there. And they're like, oh, yeah, I'll just be another piece of cargo. I'll petrify. Don't worry about it. And I like that they have that little thing on a side at page four where he's just like, time to run the numbers again. There's lots of plenty to recalculate. Like, even the yeah. addition of a human body's worth of weight and space occupancy. Because they have breathing. to, dude, they have to calculate and just, like, account for every, every gram of weight mm-hmm. and every, and, like, the amount of oxygen that they're taking in you know, at every one breath. time, like every breath, every pound, every, yep. like everything has to be accounted for because the margin of error is just that non-existent in this environment. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So the yeah, fact that why... the fact that they're taking time to give you a sliver of a panel for Psy to say something like that lets you know that they really want you to believe that these guys achieved, you know, space travel. 
you know what yeah. I mean? Oh, yeah. That's one of the reasons why I always think about, like, when folks are just like, oh, yeah, no, what about people trying to, like, you know, go to Mars and, like, or, like, Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk are going to escape the planet. I'm like, nah, dog, they're going to live in, like, a tightly regimented prison for the rest of their lives if that happens. Good <laughs> yeah. luck. Yeah. Uh, it, like, it's, it's no way to live. And then, like, at the same time, the gravity will cause your bones to lengthen uh, lack of gravity will cause your bones to lengthen and you'll have a degenerative disease for the last of your life. Um, Ooh, shit. Yeah, it's tough. Like, pe people weren't meant to live outside the bounds of Earth. So we gotta take care of it. Yeah. Right up. Gotta get that artificial Earth gravity. Yeah. So do we think they um, petrified Kohaku because she was kind of like the least um useful like i don't want to say least useful but like in this scenario she obviously she has a role part. and it's to be a warrior on the fucking exactly. battlefield of the moon yeah yeah so like do we think they just petrified her to like save the oxygen they kept reusing and them bopping around or do oh. like, senku the only one that stayed up i Cause think because yeah, stanley's not shown so i think that stanley and kohaku were both frozen they're just like, hey, you know, we'll have Senku to kind of like keep an eye on the electronics, make sure everything's running ship shape, and we're gonna use Rusue to land the damn thing. Oh yeah. I don't know. Wow. Stanley is Stanley really not shown? I haven't seen him. From literally page twelve. Three on. No, you see Stanley on page Two. twelve. Page two, he's eventually on page 12 when everyone's on taken care of. Um, Where? Uh, middle page. Oh, yeah, he's right 12. there on the left. Yeah, Cigarette in mouth. Yep, yep. Looking on 13. Wow. Yep. Okay, okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know, but yeah, what, you guess, guys said, what you guys just said makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It's unclear, you know, who exactly they petrified and for how long, but yeah. Yeah. It makes sense yeah. that they would need to petrify at least one of them because there is one more set of lungs than was accounted mm -hmm. for. So, yeah, they needed to at least make up the difference for like their earlier conversation of burning up that much oxygen. Right, mm -hmm. and yeah. they might have even need to petrify two people to account for that. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you never know. Fun to speculate on these things. Oh yeah, yeah. Ronan, you got any yeah. like closing statements for Doctor Stone this week? I just feel like this. This was a very I just feel like this is this is very emblematic of like the series as a whole. Mm. You get your you get your scientific things. You get like little little mini uh, bubbles of information about things like the Doppler effect, which is like has like a very small panel to itself. Right. Um, obviously, how fast uh, spaceships are. All these different things. And I didn't I feel know like spaceships just... went that fast. It makes sense, but I'm gonna tell you right yeah. now. Like, I don't know how I never learned this. But that information yeah. kind of blew my mind. I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah, that rocket exactly. shit is different. Yeah, for real. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no easy. Yeah. yeah, and the Doppler for, effect for sure. panel was gas, too. Yeah. Keep going, though. Yeah, yeah just, just things like that, I feel like, make it very clear that this is just, like, a very Dr. Stone chapter, if that makes sense. Like, it was just it very, it was very down, like, uh, I was about to say down to earth when that doesn't really, uh, <laughs> that, doesn't necessarily, <laughs> that doesn't necessarily fit with the, the context of this chapter, but it was very, uh, to its, to its core of, like, what the series is and, like, what the appeal of it is. So, yeah. it, overall, very enjoyable. 
it's crazy that it keeps that vibe in chapters this far into the story, right? Because you said that this was a very Dr. Stone chapter. And I think about what that means for me, you know what I mean? And it's true, you know what I mean? But it's so wild that it can be such a Dr. Stone chapter while we're at an area of the storytelling that is the exact opposite of where it started. You know what I mean? Like we are literally went from the Stone Age to landing on the moon. And even in these highly advanced technology chapters of storytelling that we have like where we're at right now in the current story that it can still just feel so you know um what's the word i'm looking for here so dr stone at its core when the core of what we believe dr stone to be you know was developed during a time where there was literally no technology you know what i mean like i don't know if what i'm saying makes sense right now but it's just really impressive that it can keep you know such a consistent tonal vibe throughout the entire maybe not tonal but like just like a consistent vibe that feels you know you get what you what you asked for yeah. when you were getting into dr stone like right. even though it's so technologically different from where it once was like yeah. the character interactions are similar the vibe is very similar like the tone may be a little bit more serious maybe but right. overall it's it's still dr stone at its heart it hasn't like transformed in anything different so i feel like this is a lot of other series, I think, you know, for better or worse, will take on a little bit of a transformation from what they once were. Right. Um, but Dr. Stone is, while not being bland or boring, still the the same thing it was from chapter one to now, right? You get the right. same general appeal. I think that's that's a very impressive thing to pull off. That was very yeah. well said. Uh, it definitely has consistency while still maintaining growth. Um yeah. That part of Dr. Stone reminds me of Boichi's like earlier work in Sun Ken Rock. Yeah. Where there is a lot of emotional growth and there's growth in the idea of like the little gang that he has goes from just like, you know, five guys in suits and no car and <laughs> to, you know, managing properties and all this other stuff, but still maintaining that kind of like core and heart yeah. of the series. Oh, yeah. Yep. Very good. I think that about does it for Dr. Stone for me. I'm definitely good. All right. Well, with that, I think we can go ahead and move right into the final chapter of the night. Chapter 341 of Academia. The story of how we all became heroes, part minus one. Mm-hmm. And uh, we start off with a nice little uh, non-color just kind of aesthetic cover of toga here and it's yeah it's a little different but it's really nice and somebody pointed out how she's kind of got like a twice aesthetic on her mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. on her costume here in my live reaction Ooh, which, yeah, 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 yeah. which makes sense given the kind of info that we get later in the chapter here from dobby um i just like i'm I, dude if sad man's parade comes back out it gonna happen. That shit is gonna fucking be OD. Gonna cry bro. again. Yeah. Yeah, fuck yeah. I love how cinematic the opening of this fucking chapter is, bro. Like, this is Kohei. Like, this is one of my favorite bags from Kohei, right? Because, like, the writing for the villains in My Hero Academia always feels, like, just so much deeper and, like, more poetic than yeah. the yeah. writing for, like, the students. And, like, that makes sense or whatever because they're evil, troubled, uh, tra traumatized and 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 flawed characters that that bring a certain tone with them, you know, in the storytelling. But the dynamic that Kohei has established 
inside of the League of Villains just feels so fresh and interesting to me. Like, like there's a lot of visual storytelling used in the writing for all the characters in the League, and that's just so important for them in contrast to the heroes, I feel like, because, like, you need a significant divider like that in in stories like these, I want to say, where you have such a strong definition of morality on one side or the other and there is a lot of fucking moral blur and ambiguity inside of my hero academia and that's another one of the points as well but like they're trying to have a very black and white sense of morality in their story you know what i mean so having such an intense tonal shift from one perspective to another is like guaranteed basically but the way that it's executed inside of my hero academia is so cinematic and it's like one of my favorite things that kohei does yeah man this like the way they've destroyed the house and like when i was reading and like reading the graffiti yeah um just like like the part where like himiko age three himiko age two crossed yeah. the fuck out all this stuff like you'll pay your fault for having her um like there's this one part on page four be judged pay with your lives and it's just like i get it she you're you're the girl hurt a lot of people but like it it's it reveals a lot of society in the thing like some people don't care about right or wrong they just want someone to pay because they've been hurt yes they don't care who has to pay they just want someone to yeah um there was like yeah just a lot of stuff like that um heavy heavy stuff um super heavy there's shit. the dream analysis stuff that i thought was super interesting um i had to like read up on some stuff because she was talking about like the little dreams and it was interesting i've never seen um a character do like self-harm in this way yeah um, where she's chewing on her own wrists and drinking her own blood because yeah. her impulse is to um right but like so through dream analysis we can cover some things like rides by the lilies is always about finals and good, final goodbyes what is what dream, is, hold on hold on what uh, did you say okay so like in like the cover picture and in the dreams there's red spider lilies that are in in the shot oh. um and those are emblematic in the language of flowers final goodbyes specifically in japanese culture so she is saying goodbye to her like it is saying goodbye to twice because once she uses his blood she can never see him again even after the sad man parade and then even in the dreams she's has those in her dreams and this is might be a kind of a more of a nod of like this is saying goodbye to her childhood before dobby burns the house down oh my god um, i just thought of like dude is toga because the fact that she's ingested twice his blood but not used his ability is that like considering like quirk factor i think is the concept that 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 has to do with this where your essence your soul your like being is like you know a part of your quirk factor oh. or whatever to where like you know like similar to like vestiges or deku you know or what or in like the shirakumo stuff with aizawa and present mike where shirakumo was still like somewhere in there you know what mm. i mean like is like is she seeing is she like having visions of twice having conversations with him like internally 
like through his quirk factor because of the ingestion of his blood and then like once she finally uses his technique he'll be like gone from her system and she like won't be able to like interact with him on like a you know quirk factor space kind of way like his actual yeah. soul and essence will be completely gone from her and she won't be like i have we seen anything like that i think this is the i don't think we've actually seen anything from toga to where she has no. a dream of twice or anything but now no, that you're talking so. about this like i'm thinking like man like if that's an off-screen thing but is a thing like that makes this scene so much like sad or this chapter so much sadder uh. to think about that makes me think that when she does use his blood to like activate his quirk, she's gonna have that moment where she speaks in split, and it's just gonna oh. be him saying goodbye. Saying the other thing? Oh fuck, dude. Yeah, I think that no, she's gonna no. have that moment. That'd no be so way. sad. I'm gonna cry for sure. Like twice always makes me cry. Um, but like the part that I was focusing on that was like the crazy. sparrow. The sparrow like digging into her stomach and making a nest. Oh, sure. Um so, like, in Dreams, about the stomach, it talks about new changes in life, but difficulty accepting them, indicative that you can no longer tolerate a certain situation or predicament, um, or that you have a heavy burden. Um, sparrows, uh, dreams of birds, symbolize uh, goals, hopes, and aspirations. Sparrows specifically represent positivity and energy, which is how she rep views her love of others. It's a positive thing. Her goals are to be like others. Um, and then uh, sparrows, as a symbol by themselves, they represent simplicity, self-worth, freedom, which is about her thing. It's like the rule society is way too complicated. I don't want any of that. I just want to be happy. I want to love myself and be a regular girl and uh, be free to do so. And the cherry on top, the way she views um, her affection to others, sparrows are the sacred animal of the Greek goddess of love and lust, Aphrodite. Whoa, that's so... Yo. Yeah. It's such so layered like, symbolism it. in this art. Project and Dream. Project Dream. Project Dude, Dream analysis. Um, Shoot. And um, one last moment before Professor Mello goes away. <laughs> uh, so sailors, like Jack Sparrow, right? Sailors yeah. have had a tradition of having sparrows tattooed onto their bodies because um, sparrows are seen to carry the spirits of the dead. So if they died out in the ocean, their spirit would be carried away by a spirit sparrow instead of being left to rot in the middle of nowhere. Oh, interesting. And yeah so that's like beyond child, interesting that's like that. entirely intentional after your explanation on this dream mm -hmm. analysis bit like every single thing you said about the symbolism of the sparrow in your dreams and just in general ties into toga's character at some point and like that's just like that's not some heady reachy yeah. you know try and to find parallels is, kind of thing like yeah. that is too accurate to her character for it to and be an accident is, yeah when you first introduce her first like childhood flashback, she's drinking the blood of a dead sparrow. And her parents are like, hey, put that down. Dead things are gross. Don't do that. Where's that? That is, no, that is like the very first instance. Oh, that's of her back childhood flashback. In the story. Way oh, back. My the sparrow God. has been there the entire time, baby. Oh. <sighs> 
Chill out. <laughs> Make me sad again. That's why. Question: Because I don't remember. Yes. Do we do we know if Toga knows uh, Hawks is the one who who took out twice? Does Toga know that? Oh, yeah. Is that something we know? I think she should yes. know because because she... when Dobby was giving his monologue in front of the world. He specifically okay. told on Hawks and was like, you guys don't mm-hmm. even fucking know what good is. Your fucking okay. number two hero just murdered a guy. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. Silence had... him. Yeah. yeah. I was having, I was having some, because that, that just went deep, right? So, yeah. I was I, I was having a conversation about with one of my friends uh, on Twitter, and they were like, they they were saying, we were going kind of going back and forth, that maybe the, the Red Sparrow is supposed to be indicative of her fate against hawks um because if you look at a sparrow's wings and you compare it to hawks they do look rather similar um mm. and you may be able to compare the red sparrow in particular um to and hawks the one who are took, red in the end yeah who he has took, red yeah, wings oh god the one who oh, took, shit. and i think it would be very um sort of i personally think that hawks is going to be on a war path to take out toga who is kind of um, sort of carrying on Twice's like legacy through herself. Yeah. Um, and I think that I don't know. I feel like her hesitance throughout all of this chapter, like she never really shows super, uh, like uh, I guess excitement about anything that she's doing. When Dobby asks her if she's ready for what's coming, she doesn't say, "Yeah, I'm ready." She just says, "It's it's late to ask that. That's not a question you can ask me now, right?" I'm. I'm too deep in. That's not really We're the type it, of yeah. answer. Yeah, that's yeah. not the type of answer you give if you you genuinely feel like you're on the right path. That's the type of answer that someone who's resigned to their fate gives. Yeah. Um, and I feel it'd be very interesting um, if Hawks and her are having the conflict. And I personally been of the belief that Uraraka is going to be kind of uh, interrupting or being part of any conflict with Toga. Yeah. So her maybe rectifying her mistake of condemning Toga might be um i'd be something that we see in the future but i do definitely i like that yeah i do definitely think that because of twice hawks and her fate are tied together and because of i mean uraraka and toga go back to the beginning of like toga's character introduction to be honest like right very early on they both have a clear admiration of deku they both are like clearly meant to kind of sort of i guess you could say parallel each other but they're more meant to to have this sort of face off um, they have it in the war, obviously. Horikoshi went out of his way um, to show them having this conflict. And I think that with Uraraka's speech, like, admitting, like, okay, yeah, everybody needs help, you know, all this stuff, clearly moving forward her character and things like that, it'd be very interesting to see a clearly, like, just kind of mentally exhausted Toga deal with the... deal with, like, Uraraka and Twice's killer being Hawks. Yeah, I love that. Because oh, I could totally see Toga in her confrontation with Uraraka. You know, while Uraraka is already kind of conflicted in their situation in the first place. But then to have Toga drop, you know... Well, no, because I think Uraraka does definitely know that Ox killed twice too, because Dobby. Yeah, but I'm like thinking, but of I, a, I think... I'm thinking of a situation of like where she's like, did you know that your fucking mentor killed my fucking... You know, yeah, my friend, my, my best friend. Boy. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Oh, like, yeah. I, I think that she would be like, Raka, 
it's like I know you want to stop me, and I know you say you say you want to help me, but like he killed my friend. What would yeah. you do if you were me? Yeah, as more of that like a not to shock her with the information, but more as to like just I talk about it. On, yeah, talk I about it on a deeper level him. that she hadn't maybe considered yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, because Toka clearly is emotional about this, and she seems to get even more vulnerable when near Deku or Uraraka. Like. I'm pretty. I remember her distinctly, like tearing up when Uraraka's like, "You're a villain. I have to condemn you." And Toga's just kind of like, understandably, when you understand her perspective, upset at the person she admires a lot, condemning her, just being like, "You're in this box of evil, and therefore I'm going to take you down as such." Um, I think that's very. It's a. It's a bit interesting, and I feel like Horikoshi wouldn't write her to be so hesitant, like. She's, she doesn't seem to be happy any time throughout this chapter. It's mm. just melancholy. It's just sadness. When Dobby burns down her house, it's it, she looks like she's just finished crying. It just it's just not. She just doesn't look like the energetic sort of character that she initially was. And I think that right as as you were as you were saying earlier. Um, Things have been getting more and more complicated, and that's just not how she wants to live her life. So right. it's, it's becoming harder and harder for her to live the way she wants to. The sparrow, yeah. simplicity. Yeah. Um, hey. It's like, I think that her biggest wound, plainly shown through the way the house is desecrated and how her parents treated her, she's always just wanted acceptance. And I think that is her kryptonite in the end. Uh, I think that Uraka is going to accept her flaws and all and that's going to be the moment that she breaks um possibly stops and then in kind of a reverse of hawks maybe dobby comes in and he's like no 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 i can't have you give up now you need to and he doesn't care about throwing away his allies either even though he is showing this almost big brotherly moment where he's like hey i know you're crying whether we cry or smile, the sun keeps on moving. So let's smile. And then he burns down her house. And she's like, you know what? That was kind of you, but we're going to get caught. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's nihilistic. It's, And I think that like Toga and Spinner being the focus of these two chapters and the idea that both of them have been rejected by society as a whole for behavior or for just pure looks in the vein of like, quirk racism right. um i think that acceptance is gonna be a core part of their undoing when the final fights start happening like what do you mean shoji i think that shoji is gonna possibly or tokoyami or asui might be the ones that are involved with spinner they might be the heteromorphs that are chosen as the squad you mean ashido the demon-looking uh, one with the horns, the acid. Oh shirt. yeah, even that. Uh, oh, oh so you did mean Asui? Okay, okay. I, I didn't mean Asui because, like, she does have like. Well, you said Shoji, the arm dude. Yeah. Asui, she's a frog, and then, and then yeah, Tokoyami's just a bird-faced dude. So, like, I feel like bird those folks are gonna be the ones. <laughs> I wonder how different Asui looks to like society like in like real life quote unquote because it's like i look at asui and yeah when she's in her you know full get up and she's always in like a froggy kind of like stance mm -hmm. or whatever like and her tongue is out doing crazy things like sure it's easy to see 
her as a frat, but when she's just like like standing there, like in her regular schoolgirl like outfit or whatever, like she doesn't doing really... the little T Rex thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah it doesn't. She's she got them long ass frog hands. Oh, does yeah. she? I, I'm I'm just trying. I'm just trying to her remember brothers. physical indicators of like heteromorphy. You know, she's needs to, the like, least she heteromorphic looks... of her family. Like when you do the little flashback of her family, yeah, she, her family looks like frogs. Oh, and, like, okay. Her childhood friend was that gal that looked like a snake. And so, like, I, oh, think I don't that remember she's, any of them. Um, <laughs> she's she's like the white passing equivalent of a heteromorph. That's hilarious. You know? <laughs> you know I mean, like, she's like, oh yeah, you don't look that heteromorphic, and I'm like, thanks. I oh, hate you. Oh <laughs> my god, that's so funny because that's like Dude. so accurate. Yeah, tell me about it. They're like, pfft, ugh. <laughs> oh, yeah. You don't seem that Asian. I'm like, I hate you. <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, oh my yeah. god but now getting that... into the spinner shit bro like i love the spinner scene because i don't know i just they love better spinner. not take this shit out of the anime too yeah no straight up absolutely number one please don't fucking ruin like the spinner stuff because they're already kind of like starting to like erase spinner a little bit they like, cut from spinners the... yeah. moments out of the anime yeah. big moments so it's like I don't really have a whole lot of faith there anyway, but like yes, please don't fucking remove any more Spinner from the fucking anime. But I just love Spinner for what he represents in in the story because like his story and like what he brings to the narrative is just so X Men for me. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And like like the X Men inspiration in My Hero Academia, as far as references go, and like you know storytelling decision making is just like my favorite thing about the inspiration of My Hero Academia and the fact that we're starting to get this focus on what Spinner represents in the League of Villains as like the poster child for, you know, heteromorphs in the series just creates like the most exciting stretch of storytelling that I've been waiting for and we're finally starting to like go into it now. But the thing that I appreciate about Spinner so much is that while they're literally laying down this man's kingdom for him, he maintains an air of skepticism throughout the entire exchange because he knows, like, he's a very critically thinking, you know, overthinking, outside-of-the-box thinking member of this team where he has very straightforward motivations and he knows who he's following and for what reasons. Like, he, whenever anything is happening with Spinner inside of his dialogue and inside of his illustrations, you can feel a skepticism. Like, this, this, this is everything that I want, but like yeah. I'm really sketched out on the methodology. Exactly. You know what I Almost mean? Almost like yeah. he's been outcasted for so long that something going right is like mm, there has to be strings attached to this. Exactly. There's something, and especially when doing with all, with all for one, that makes sense. Like Shigaraki's clearly not in his best mental state, so he's like, is he even Shigaraki now? He seems he seems to have been the only one to even question that um, yeah. out of the League yeah. of Villains. Yeah, um, which is very interesting. He's like. Because he wants to follow Shigaraki. He doesn't want to follow any old villain, right? Yeah. It's not it's not all for one. It's the person who accepted him into the fold. And right. I think that's very important. And just in general, I think Horikoshi is just really, really good at writing his villains. It makes me almost um yeah. like jealous for the heroes. I'm like, man, he just writes stuff like when he like uh, when he gets into his bag with his villain writing, I'm like, this yeah. is Ah, man. I say it all the yeah. time. It feels like, like Kohei sat down when he was conceptualizing this story and mm -hmm. went, okay, 
the villains are the most important thing about superhero yeah. storytelling. Let me figure yeah. that out first and then write the rest of the story around the villainous presence that I've like taken, you know, crazy amounts of time to develop first and foremost. Yeah. You know yeah. I, mean? I feel that too. I feel that too. Um, like, I think it's really interesting that Spinner gets talked over by, um, oh, what's his name? the tech guy from yeah fuck yeah but he gets talked over right he has that moment on page uh 15 he's like as if i'm some big messiah i'm not out here saying i'm only here for you and he's like skeptic the guy is already skeptic yeah i knew their names both started with s's and i was like yeah i was um, like starting to google it and then it came to mind before i got to but he gets wiki. talked over on it yeah um and then is like trying to like push on this level of responsibility onto him. And it's just like, yeah, you're a heteromorph. Society gets bat rags on heteromorphs. But we want to give you the responsibility. We want to defer all this responsibility to you. You can do it. You can be our tool to hurt society, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, man, he's thinking to himself, like, I get it. I'm being used. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you don't really care about me. You only care about what I could represent for you. Right. Like, and this skepticism like, has been there in the background with his character mm -hmm. for a while. Like, we've gotten like multiple scenes where he's like, "Yo, I I started doing this for Stain. You acting, yeah. you know, real not Stain right now. I don't know if I'm really fucking mm -hmm. with you, like for yeah. real, like that. Like, we've gotten scenes like that with Spinner, and Kohei keeps putting him in the scenes where that link between him and all for one is kind of you know mysterious and esoteric and and just like not easy to really comprehend like i remember like however many chapters ago after it's after the vi the villain hunt you know stuff with deku yeah and it was like the first look into like the villain's lair after the jailbreaks and all that stuff and mm -hmm. and spinner was the one who had the hand that goes on Shigaraki's face and all from was like, give him his hand back or something. And he like put the hand, you know, back on Shigaraki. Like they, like Kohei keeps putting him in those in-between scenes with like all yeah. for one in Shigaraki to kind of oh, like drive the point God. home that Spinner doesn't really know who to follow for real and like what to expect from either one of his bosses. You know what I mean? Spinner like it's it's the whole thing where like deku is just like take my hand deku right but spinner is going to be the shigaraki like take my hand kind of thing yeah. and i wonder if he manages to save shigaraki but ends up getting like he has All to right. cut off his arm before he fully disintegrates or something like that like he's like grab my hand toss him back over the ledge to save his life i feel like that's going to be something that's going to happen yeah because even when All for One's trying to like control him a little bit and nudge him, it's like, hey, anyone can be somebody's hero because he knows that like Spinner has an idealistic streak right. and views Stain and Shigaraki as forms of heroes right. mm -hmm. in, a, in a corrupt society. So, yeah. And it would be so I, easy for, for Spinner in this situation while they're literally handing him his dream on a silver platter. It'd be so easy, especially considering how far he's come with these characters inside of this faction. It'd be so easy in this scene for him to just be like, oh, really? It's all my, like, it's, I'm ready to go? Like, this is my calling? Like, thank you all for one. Like, thank you, skeptic. Like, he's not yeah. acting like that. He's like, the fuck you mean? 
like i don't know man this this is all kind of weird like he just maintains that skepticism no matter how good the situation is for both feet on the ground yes he keeps both feet on the ground yeah he doesn't fall to like delusions of grandeur he's like i don't deserve anything i'm just an average dude like i get that you're trying to like make me the forefigure but i've never felt comfortable leading I'm just a follower of ideals yeah. of my friends. That's another you know, Kohei yeah. strength is that he's written these characters in ways to where all of their outlooks and all of their motivations are so fleshed out and so, you know, separate from like the overarching narratives kind of main goal of like wanting to be the number one hero and taking down the number one villain and all of these things that we're supposed to care about in the foreground all of these characters all have their own, you know, kind of agency to the point where their next moves are so mysterious and unknown. There's so much uncertainty inside of what any of these characters are going to do at any given moment, despite them being very clearly on one side of the fence or the other. You know what I mean? Like, you literally never know what Dobby is planning. You literally never know how Spinner's character arc is going to, you know, fucking what it's crescendoing into you know what i mean mm-hmm. like you don't know like all of these characters are so vo- like such volatile wild cards that it creates such an interesting continuation in the series as a reader where you're like i need to see the next chapter because i don't know how this is going to go for anyone individually or as a whole there's so much mystery there inside of how this is going to end and i know we're moving towards the end and that's when you want that compelling writing there keeping people turning those pages and coming back every week to guarantee you know what's going to happen for themselves because everyone has a different idea because they're that well written as individual characters and we know so much about them that like it's like man he could do this he could do that this would be totally in character but there's different answers for multiple different answers for every character and that's just like so crazy to have in a story like this at this stage in it like we're in 350 chapter range you know what i mean (laughs) and there's just so many different ways this can go down still i love how much emotion he can convey with eyes and small expressions yeah like on page six Himiko's looking at like the empty room, how they threw it all the way, and her eyes are gone, and that bottom left panel, she creates this like tight smile where she's like having to accept that kind of thing. What page? Um, page six. Six. Yeah. Where she's standing in the room and she has threw that small all smile, threw yeah. it all the way, and then has this tight, deepening smile where she's forcing herself to kind of be positive through it all. Um and then she hasn't seen the eyes, and then her eyes are focused again when she's like, smiling is why we live our lives, and then when she's looking fondly at the vial of blood for twice. Um, yes. There's this moment where, like, um, when Spinner is like, Shigaraki, are you all right? His eyes are clear, they're bright. When he's when AFO's talking to him on page 14, his... I, pupils are narrowed like he's afraid he's low-key afraid of afo um when he's looking at like spinner and he's like if i'm the big messiah right and he's holding like a skeptical look in his eye and then you don't see his eyes when afo is kind of won him over a little bit it's like you will give them first necessary change bring it all down he's like you know what i give up no more thinking it over i'm over it and then you see his eyes on page 17 and he's got like 
hardened eyes. He's resolved himself. He's going through what he needs to do. And Shigaraki, his eyes staring at um, Spinner, it's hard to read his expression. Yeah. Like, is that the like uh because look that's a look of someone who's going through a lot of pain probably still after his fight with star and stripe with the quirk revolting inside so you can feel that is it a look of betrayal for him following orders or he's staring at all for one he's like you betrayed me like i trusted you 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 tutored me you groomed me to be this villain and you've betrayed me yeah i guess we don't know um, exactly who he's looking at at all it, it it makes me wonder because like in the sense that the eyes are the window of the soul afo is interesting choice because he never has eyes and is completely mm. amoral and evil he has no soul yeah um that was deep and, as fuck <laughs> and the that part awesome. that i like th- yeah. thank you yeah. um I think it's really interesting because parallel to the very first chapter, Sludge appears. Mm, and then and we have Sludge it, here at the Sludge end. Is, back, yeah. is Spinner the Deku to Shigaraki's Bakugo in that moment? You looked at me and you looked like you needed help. Yo. And I feel like that's foreshadowing. But that's just me. That's fire, though. I love that idea. Mm-hmm. Bro, the visual man, storytelling that... is the most important thing for me. Yeah, for sure. That that could be some fire juxtaposition. <laughs> yeah, I you was know, just thinking about. I'm shit. picturing the scene like oh. I am too, bro. Oh no! I damn near. I'm like, yo, how is Sludge gonna hem Shigaraki up? Because I want to see that bitch mirrored. <laughs> nah, they, they, Spinner comes out with the backpack like, yeah. <laughs> not the <Yeah>. backpack. <laughs> yeah. Throws the Fuck books it. at him. Like he takes some textbooks. No, that's been that's that shot put was fire. Go ahead, Ronan. Yeah. I was gonna say it'd be very interesting considering like what we do know about like vestiges and things like that. If Shigaraki's being consumed by like all for one's um like mind and what Shigaraki what helped pull Shigaraki out is not just Deku but Spinner in his own head, right? Um so it can be realistic in the sense that Sludge is, is like a, a D, D-list villain, right? But he can function mm-hmm. as um, someone that reminds the viewer, us, of like a situation where a relatively weak character power-wise is able to pull this much stronger character out from the depths of like their mm-hmm. troubles, right? Um, out, from, out from their suffocating um, things. Because All for One is very controlling of Shigaraki. Yeah, he's literally smothering his personality with his own. Yeah. Um, the same way Bakugo literally couldn't breathe while facing the Sludge Monster. So so I think that oh having Spinner pull him out and then having, you could even say, like, if you wanted to take it a step further, Spinner could be the Deku and Deku could have evolved to what All Might's position was where he is the thing that... Um, like Spinner is what spurs Deku to act in an even greater fashion than he could have before. Wow! Damn, that's crazy. That's so cool. Oh my god, you just went so crazy. Thank you for the alley oop. Yeah, you got you and Mellow just like you and Mellow just brought a fucking vibe to the conversation. That is just so fucking. This this is hands down. 
for sure yeah i appreciate that all you that was that was definitely was was appreciated that was so um, cold yeah i will yeah. say i will say for me personally right up until this chapter for a while i had not really been digging my hero chapters they'd fed, really? they felt kind of slow they felt kind of you know whatever yeah. um this chapter really was like this is this is like yeah. real like even this though one stands it's slow, out yeah this mm -hmm. one stands out like plot wise it's slow but it's like this is the kind of like this remind almost ha forcefully reminds you like okay yeah this is why you get hype when my hero comes out every week like right it brought back that my villain academia vibe for a chapter exactly mm -hmm. yeah and it's a, it feels like just like i mean Knox touched on it a little bit earlier in the segment but like it just feels like you're watching a movie through this chapter like very cinematic it's yeah oh absolutely um when Ronan was just slam dunking it about how Shigaraki is drowning in power, I was looking at that page on 13 where he's like a curing out, um, where he's just straight up, um, very Akira, like Tetsuo. Yeah, I was, yes, bro, we were on the same road, and like it almost reminds me of like how, like, it is goopy and fleshy and all these things and you can see like vestigial parts reaching out and like how sludge is literally drowning in power right the idea of that i was like ah that's so sick i wow. love that wow um, what an incredible conversation uh, we're having right now inside of my yeah. hero academia this is some one thing pretty deep shit yeah go ahead one thing i really like is Toga, um, Spinner, and Shigaraki all have shown, like, the ability to be, um, redeemed, not so much in the sense that they'll turn good, but in the sense that, like, they can kind of be accepted, or they have a desire to be accepted, um, and it's not necessarily, like, this innate, like, uh, malevolent nature, if you will, right? Yeah, they um, have, the, there's the possibility that they can, um have their ideology corrected for the lack of, yeah. a, of a better word that i can't really think like if you look at the joker inside of the killing joke as batman can be the joker it's all mm -hmm. you know just a difference of how they reacted to one bad day you know mm -hmm. what i mean and they they both got shat on by you know the world around them and batman chose to fight that chaos and the Joker chose to embrace the chaos and become it. So, like, that's, mm -hmm. like, the whole point of the killing joke or whatever. But it always comes back to that one, all it takes is one bad day quote. These people that you're talking about right now in regards to their redeemability are almost working on the adverse of that philosophy as all it takes is one good day. Good day, you know yep. I mean? and, and, and that can save somebody. Yeah. And yeah. one thing that makes this so, like, so blatant, the the, the ability for them to be... Um, somewhat saved is Dobby's pure and utter just like visceral hatred of everything around him it seems like I think Horikoshi does, does a very good job of contrasting Toga's like forced smile like Mello was saying with Dobby's genuine like elation when he's burning down the house like Toga is clearly distraught here but Dobby looks like he's never had more fun in his life right? yeah he just he just seems to be in contrast to these other characters enthralled in what he's doing right obviously this is the result of negative things in his past but he seems to be completely fine 
with going up in a in a ball of villainous flames, right? Whereas these other Some characters... Some men just want to watch the world burn. Exactly. I shit. just want to set the world on fire. Hey, you killed uh, those octaves yeah. right there. You hit, the, you hit that shit. Oh, that was very man. Paul Anka, I felt. Bobby Dude, V. <laughs> it's so good because, like... It's it's interesting because I love the different dichotomies of like how they view like the past and how they view the world, like like <sighs> Shigaraki believes that the world past should be destroyed because he can't handle it, and he wants to reject the world entirely. And then Dobby wants to destroy the world, but for the purpose of the past has been his kindling and he wants others to pay. Like it's like, um, Shigaraki is like true nihilism where he like, he wants true nothingness, but he can't like, he can't, it's, he's one of those people like he can't kill himself. So he'll mm-hmm. destroy absolutely everything. And along with himself, Dobby's just like, no, I don't care about myself. I just want to make sure you suffer period looking mm-hmm. at endeavor. And then like Toga, spinner their goals were just like hey these people accepted us when no one else would so we're gonna tag along and like deep down they just want to live in the world like spinner was a neat you know he was a he was a shut-in because he knew deep down that heteromorphs were not accepted in the world he didn't go outside he's like nah 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 until he felt (coughs) mobilized by stain oh yeah yeah oh this chapter was a banger, man. Dude, the, the visual stuff kills me every time. Like, yeah. page 15. Um, they were talking about how the wannabes copying your costume. Now you're a guiding light to Hiram Morris. And I'm like, you know what? Looking at the examples, like zooming in, I'm like, oh my god, they are copying him. I had no Shouts idea. Out. We talked about that. I was going to say on my live reaction, I talked about this too. Shouts out to the episode in the past where we saw this panel and literally said these dudes are dressing up like Spinner. Yeah. We yeah I don't about think Mello was there. For I don't think Mello was <clears> No, this was back yet. when I believe Kiko was still on the show. Yeah, I think yeah, even Kiko I'm... was still there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Kiko, I believe, was the one that brought it up. Yeah. He said, all these dudes are dressing up like Spinner. Yeah, shout out to my boy. We had a we had a long conversation about that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Man. Yeah, man. I, I think it's that. Spinner making waves in the heteromorph community since way back, man. Yeah, for real, for real. They've been looking up to dude. Yeah. Ever since Stain got taken out, and then Spinner was just on camera for the first time. Everyone was like, "Yep, that's the man. That's that gay." Yeah. I don't know if I had too much more for my hero this week. Yeah, though. I think that's... we just had one of the best my hero conversations that we've had in a long time. Yeah, for real. I need a cigarette. <laughs> Good for you, many, too. Many, yeah. many, dude. Ronan, yo, Mellow, snapped. Snaps, snaps. We gotta get him. The, the back-to-back double dragon tandem philosophy uh, analysis banger. Ronan, thank you so much for being here to share these moments with us. For like, real, I man. loved, I loved having you in this section yes. and like, the rest it. of the episodes too. Yeah, yeah. It was fun being on here. Talking about these chapters is really fun because um, like you, you read it and you're like, yeah, I get it. But then you talk about it and you're like, holy shit. Like I yeah. didn't get it. Like I, I yeah. don't know. I didn't know what I was reading. And I think yeah. talking through it just makes it so much clearer. Um, yeah. So it was very Absolutely. fun talking through these chapters. Hell yeah, man. It definitely lets things settle because, like, there's a 
so many episodes where I get chills up my spine because I have like a moment where I'm like, wait a second, son yeah. of a bitch. Or maybe someone else says that thing that mm-hmm. sends the yeah. shivers down your spine. Like that's why like this 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 atmosphere for discussion on multiple series back to back is just so important for me personally because I feel like like Ronan was saying, I read the chapters, I feel like I get it, I take my notes, I feel really good about them. But then the best part about you know above my notes that i took about above my initial reaction when i read the chapter is how i feel about the chapter coming out of segments like these you know yeah because because someone said something that made me think about it in a different way that i hadn't considered before or maybe like Mello was saying you have one of those epiphany moments where you connect a dot that you never would have connected if you were just talking about this in a group chat or if you were just reading to yourself and contemplating you know what i mean like it's just this atmosphere is so important for my understanding of these series. I can't even, I can't even, you know, explain all of the reasons why. But, yeah. But yeah, man, thanks for joining us. Right <laughs> yeah. Always no, a pleasure. That'll, uh, that'll do it for Appreciate this chapter of my hero, I believe. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that will do it for this episode of the Project Manga Podcast. Ronan, man, thank you so much for joining us once again. You fucking snapped on multiple segments tonight. Why don't you go ahead and give our audience a uh, description of what, you know, kind of what you do, where they can find you, and uh, where they can hear you snap on some more Jujutsu Kaisen shit. Yeah. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Appreciate you guys having me on, first of all. And, uh, you know, it was a fun conversation. Um, as for what I do, uh, I basically Broken Running is where you can find me on YouTube, and I just do relatively uh, uh, similar stuff to kind of like, obviously it's just me individually, but I'll be like analyzing certain characters, um, doing kind of, uh, I don't know if think pieces is the right word, but I'll do things like talking about the morality of a character, whether that be in JJK or different other series. I'm definitely uh, taking this year to expand a bunch of other series bleach for one of them i know a bunch of bleach fans have been enjoying the videos i've been putting out so just in general if you like anime and manga analysis you know uh you probably will be able to find something on my channel that you like in the near future so you know if you guys decide to check it out i hope you guys do enjoy awesome and of course like we said in the intro we'll include all those links down below for you guys to uh click on and follow and subscribe and all that good stuff and while you're down there as always check out our links as well Links to all of our individual social media accounts, such as Twitter, online communities, such as Discord, places to consume the podcast as far as audio listening platforms. We're on all of them. And our online shop and our Patreon as far as ways to support the show. So with all those words said, this will be another stupendous episode of the Project Manga Podcast wrapping up. I'm your host, Eagle. Knox. Melo Yenis. Ronan. Sarabada.